Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Lasso Lowdown. We give you the lowdown on all things Ted Lasso. I am your host, Lee. I am here. I am joined by my co-host, Spencer. Spencer, how are you? Doing well, man. All right, Spencer. I let everyone know that we were a couple of days late in recording because you had a sick dog. The world wants to know how is your dog doing this morning. Uh, he's had a rough road, and it's going to be a long walk, but he seems to be on the mend. He's here sleeping on my feet. He's been eating. He's been peeing. Hopefully, he'll poop here later on today. All, all productive events. It seems like he's going to be doing okay. Okay, so he's home. He's eating, and you are here with us. The world also wants to know what you think of season three, episode eight, Ted Lasso. This is one of those moments of where I appreciate us having an opportunity to talk about the episodes because I'm going to need an opportunity to unpack it aloud to kind of really crystallize my thoughts. I liked individual scenes. The overall package, though, left me oddly just kind of cool. Maybe it's that I'm not liking where certain plot lines are going. Maybe it's that I'm not as much liking the new kind of format or direction of the show. I'm not sure, and I'm reassured that in talking about with you, I'll be able to understand more about how I feel. Yeah, we'll be able to unpack it for sure. I, I would say this about Ted Lasso, and this is something I've, I think I've figured out here in the last couple episodes, is the show has certainly changed. All the people who are saying the show's different, the show's different. Like, yeah, it is different. Mm-hmm. It's longer. <clears throat> the plot lines are less interconnected. You have some characters like Nate, like Keeley, who are just off doing their own thing. It doesn't really connect back to the main plot line or Ted. It's more, it's more a drama with comedic hour long drama with comedic elements than a mm-hmm. 30 minute comedy with a few dramatic elements. However, for me, the show still accomplishes the same thing. If I'm going to give the 32nd elevator pitch of what Ted Lasso is, it's not wholly different than it was a couple years ago. It's still a bunch of characters in this sort of fictional world. That's probably maybe a little bit more positive, a little more sunny side up world than what our world really is. Just, a- just, just trying to make it, trying to be the best versions of themselves and telling a few jokes along the way. And it still is that for me. So I'm, I'm happy with it. I liked the episode. I mean, I think tackling the whole fapping thing was brilliant. It's, it's, it's a perfect plot line for this type of show to dive into. And, and it really worked for me, especially, especially making Keely the person that it happens to, it was emotionally affecting and I was certainly sucked into the plot. So the, the episode worked for me. It's interesting you focus on that particular plot line because I thought in some ways where they went with that for Keeley just highlights that they've really, they've had a very odd direction for Keeley all season. She's been completely removed from the rest of the cast and I don't really get what the point of her plot line has been other than her just kind of getting blown between various series of events and then seeing those events end rather quickly and move on to the next. I, I feel like Keeley's actually been one of the one of the least successful plot lines of the season. Yeah, well, when Jack pulls funding and she goes back to work for the team next episode, you'll understand how it all connects back. So it'll be easy. Making the entire season a walk through the woods just to return to the same point. Yeah, pretty much. Maybe. But she'll she'll come back changed, Spencer. She'll come mm. back changed. And she'll be back to help the team that is now succeeding and doing well, it seems. Our, Jamie, our boy Jamie Tartu-do-do-do-do-do. Jamie Tartu-do-do-do-do. Kicking goals. Making W's, winning, it's really a lot of fun to see. So here on the Lasso Lowdown, we will give you our segments. Our segment starts with Biscuits with the Boss, where Spencer brings a sweet treat to the episode. Tea Time with Lee, where I will convince to, I will attempt to convince Ted that hot tea is not quite as bad as Ted thinks it is, and, and our American audience as well. Then we'll go into the recap with Spencer. Spencer every week heroically leads the recap, jumps in, knocks it out, professional that he is, with a lot of very interesting observations and witticisms, I am sure. We will get to the end of the episode. We'll do Sports Center Top 10, where I 
And myself and Spencer will point out 10, not 9, not 11, not 8, not 12, things that we thought were interesting about the episode or deserve more discussion. And we'll jump into train wreck of the episode where we will, we will award one character the train wreck of the episode. And then we'll wrap up with Ted's, Ted's life lessons. And I must say, there's a lot of good life lessons here in this episode. I think that segment's going to going to slap this week. I got a lot of few, a lot of few, a lot of things to talk about. So we will we will do Ted's life lessons at the end. So let's start with biscuits with the boss. Spencer, you have a sweet treat for us this week. What is it? I- I do, and to reveal a little bit behind the curtain, one of those annual traditions that my girlfriend and I love to do is that about two, three weeks after Easter, I go out and buy a whole mess of discount Easter candy, because if you don't know, they rapidly drop prices and clear their shelves after the holiday is over. So so on brand. Of course, of course. Uh, and then I, early morning, get up, hide Easter eggs of various kinds, shapes, and sometimes bunnies around the house, and then... Give her a proper Easter basket and let her do an Easter egg hunt. It's a fun like, annual tradition we've enjoyed. This year I bought a little bit extra because I wanted to uh, I was decided that I was going to try a form of Easter candy, very traditional, that I have, I don't know, consciously or subconsciously avoided for maybe the last 30 years of my life. I am going to try a British, proper British imported Cadbury egg. I my last memories on such have not I don't think I ever really liked them that much as a kid. So I think that may be part of the reason that I kind of avoided them as I became an adult anyway. But they are quintessential Easter fare. Bridget loves them. I thought I'd give it a go. All right. I've got strong feelings about the Cadbury cream egg because as a kid, the Cadbury cream egg was a staple of Easter baskets everywhere in my hometown. I never liked them. Couldn't stand them. Hmm. Uh, I always I went with the, do you remember the Cadbury caramel egg, the variation? I do. I think that was a much more American version of that, right? With the super sweet caramel in the middle of it. I think a little Mm -hmm. bit more dedicated milk chocolate on the outside. So I always went to Cadbury Caramel. A couple years ago, I tried the Cadbury Cream Egg again. It reminds me, it's like the butter pecan of Easter candy, right? Butter pecan ice cream, something that as a kid, I thought, why in the world would you ruin ice cream this way? As a kid, I thought, why would you ruin Easter candy this way? Why would you ruin milk chocolate this way? I've tried it again in my 30s. I do like the Cadbury cream egg now. I think it might even top the Cadbury caramel egg for me. Going back to the Cadbury caramel egg now, it's just too sweet. It's just way mm. too way too sweet for me. What you what you think this morning? Well, it's still di- it is still damn sweet, but it is a different kind of sweet. This does feel like that more appealing to an adult palate kind of taste and, you know, it's pretty solid. It's never I don't think it's going to replace just biting the head off a chocolate rabbit in my mind, which is just the ultimate Easter experience. But I, the I'm the experience I'm having now is better than the memories I had of it. So you know, a positive step going forward. Yeah, I feel like it's one of those things that kind of gets better with age. You start to like it a little more as you get older. I think also like not really understanding what the cream was as a kid freaked me yeah. out. I didn't know what that that substance was. Now I know it's just it's just sugar basically. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, yes. it's not. It certainly isn't any dairy in there. I think it's just a bunch of like sugar paste. <laughs> Based on its expiration date, there better not be dairy in that. All right. So for me, tea time with Lee this morning, I promised on the podcast last week that I would try a tea from someone who, the uh, listener who wrote in and gave us a tea recommendation. Unfortunately, that shipment was delayed. Shout out FedEx was mm. delayed. I do not have that tea in hand, but I still have a tea that was recommended by a listener of the podcast. This just happens to be someone who's a good friend of mine. Um, 
a, a, a good friend of mine passed along three tea bags of Hardy and Sons Hot Cinnamon Sunset Tea. And I've already had a cup of this, but I'm having another cup here this morning, podcast professional that I am. I will give it a sip here. And it's delicious. It is, I'll tell you this, it's a cinnamon tea that doesn't taste like Big Red, which is a, which, <laughs> which a is, positive. It's a feat, right? Because most of the time when you have cinnamon anything, you're like, oh, okay, this is just like a, a tea, tea version of Big Red. This is a subtle cinnamon. There is a hot element to it. It's caffeine-free. Um, long time listeners of the podcast know I don't, I don't drink alcohol. So this probably would be like a good nighttime. I'm watching mm. something fun. I want to, to drink something that feels like a bit of a treat tea. I would, I would say it's not a thing to wake up in the morning. It's more of maybe a thing to relax in the evening. That's what I'm going to call this. And Harney and Sons always delivering on really solid tea. Harney and Sons is the, the tea brand that is carried in a lot of American Starbucks stores. Mm-hmm. Um, hot cinnamon sunset. It gets a it gets a thumbs up from this guy. I think it's a pretty good pretty good option here for Ted Lasso. We, I just mentioned the idea of you know adult flavors or flavors that appeal to an adult palate. Cinnamon, oddly enough, is that for me? I couldn't stand cinnamon until I was about fifteen years old, and since then, gotten better over time in my mind. Yeah, and then I've learned things about cinnamon as I've gotten older that would have blown my little. 10 12 year old brain <laughs> like the fact that like indians cook with it in savory dishes like you'll get yeah. like like in in certain like stews like chicken stews they'll they'll cook with cinnamon which would have would have fucked me all up in the game as a kid never would have suspected that but this is good man harney and sons you pretty much can't go wrong it's typically a little bit more pricey than a lot of other teas but you can't go wrong but i can say this next week on the tea time with lee segment absolutely no question 100% will have the tea that was suggested to us by a listener, and I will be very happy to review it. Then, I think we're done with our segment. Spencer, you want to get us in the recap? I'm ready if you are. Let's fire away. All right. We open with Richmond doing remarkably Woo! well Jamie with Jamie's revised version of the total football strategy. Spencer, can I say this? I know that this is you are you're sort of falling off on the Ted Lasso love. I don't think I have loved a character in modern TV as much as More I love Jamie. Jamie in years and years and years. Yeah. It's like I told you last week. Every single fan I know of Ted Lasso, Jamie's far and away now their favorite character. Like, no one even compares to the level of love of Jamie among the fandom now, I think. I didn't think there was any way, and I know I know we'll get to it. I'm not going to try to jump you too hard, but I didn't think there was any way you would get me in a situation where I liked a male character more than I liked Roy. But I absolutely do like Jamie more than Roy. Roy is one of those plot lines I feel like he's just been kind of left to just lapse this season. He hasn't had much to do, and what he's had to do has been more tropey than character growthy. Be it's a like jackass? They're, they're emphasizing him just kind of being a sadistic jackass in terms of his role on the show. It's like they're just focusing on that aspect of his character and not exploring all the other things we found more interesting. He's one of a few that I feel like has been kind of, I've been disappointed with, not as a character, but more as what the writers have been doing with him this season. But yeah. Jamie, on the other hand, has they've been knocking it out of the park right and left. My ever-changing moods is playing too uh, as they start. There's, there's more. There is music in this episode, less than last episode, and it, I think it's working with my theory, Spencer, that like the the when the writers think they have a weaker episode, they inject more. They inject more music because like even if you're this season, you're not digging the season. I think it's pretty safe to say they had more substance. There was more going on. There was more to pay attention to this episode than last episode, and I found sure. and there was less music. Well, the music here is highlighting the fact that Jamie's revised version of Total Football is just kicking ass. They have slaughtered four teams running. 
The announcers are just going on about how Ted must be ecstatic. The players clearly are. I'm excited that I feel like we're going to get a football-focused episode of Ted Lasso. We're not. This is our one little bit of that. No, nope. We're just going to leave that behind from here. Thank God. Uh, shut up. Uh, and we cut instead to Ted in the Richmond pub, looking at Besk pensive as he sits across the table from, surprise, surprise, Michelle Imperial March Per our prior, you know, agreement, I will be referring to him solely as Dr. Jacob. Dr. Jacob! Good to see you, Dr. Jacob. Dr. Jacob. Uh, he tries to emphasize, you know, please call me Jake, but I, hmm. t- Ted and I both just feel that's just ah, weird and cannot do that. Just feels weird. Uh, Ted is at best awkward around the both of them, them having come with Henry for Henry's visit to themselves, take a hike around the English countryside. Uh, to highlight how weird it is to refer to as Dr. Jacob, Ted and Michelle kind of riff on other things that are equally weird. Uh, do you have a, did you write down what they riff about? Yeah, like whenever I hear waifus call Jay-Z Jigaman, you know? It just, just seems weird. Or like when you see a priest wearing shorts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or when you get pulled over by a cop who's the same age as you. You're like, come on, man, be cool. What are we doing here, you know? You know, here's the thing about that. Um, so we obviously what they're doing here with the writing is showing, giving us a glimpse of what worked in their relationship. Like they we got great a great banter. Yeah, got a little glimpse. This is something that's like happened to me in real life where I have like been dating someone and we go around their ex for whatever stupid reason that we have to be around their ex, which we should mm-hmm. never be. And then they start doing this and, you're, and, the you, and you get this little glimpse. It's almost, it's pretty terrifying. I bet Dr. Jacobs mm-hmm. was terrified when this was going on. You're like, oh shit, like this is what worked with them. And it might be something that you don't have. Like, I, I don't get the sense that Dr. Jacob is quite the banterer that Ted is. So it might be something she doesn't have with him. Oh, he's a hand wash guy. That's his main thing. Uh, no, 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 no banter, just hand washing. Uh, did you, it, did you, you got the impression Michelle was making fun of him, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, the, the point of this scene is to give us set up two potential relationships with Ted. One from the past and then one possibly prophesized in the future. Green we get both. Book. We get both explored here. I'm more leaning towards the show aiming towards the former. You're leaning more towards the show aiming towards the latter. Maybe you just hope such. We'll get there in a second. But the key point of this is that Ted still has a rapport, still has a banter, still has a very comfortable means of expressing himself with Michelle. Yep. That doesn't seem like she's really formed with Dr. Jacob yet. Nope. Uh, Henry comes over for pinball money, and both Ted and Dr. Jacob both reach to provide such at the same time. That's true. Dr. Jacob defers to Ted, wise move, who quickly finds that he doesn't have any. He just has, you know, some magnets, some American coins, a green matchbook. Green matchbook! Complimentary sleep masks. Yeah, some other stuff. The reason that we're emphasizing the green matchbook so much, for those that have forgotten, it's the first aspect of the prophecy that we heard Rebecca hear. So, Lee, take us through. What do you think this green matchbook implies, given that it's in Ted's pocket? Well, uh, I think that the... What didn't the... um... The psychic say that it's the guy with the green matchbook she would end up with. I, I think it was just there will be a green matchbook. I don't think she was as specific as, as that point. But no, but the, she associated but it, was, it with Sam. But it was it was in the in this whole wrap up about her future, right? Yes. So the green matchbook would be there. She would have kids. She would find love. Like these things. It's the first step. Yeah. So all of these things were sort of wrapped up in this like future looking path for Rebecca. 
we associated with Sam because Sam had the green mash books when he was patching out green mash books at his restaurant soft opening. But now Ted having one in his pocket is, is, is I think very clearly one of two things. It's a just slightly uh, from the writing group, just slightly starting to reveal, okay, in these last five episodes, we're going to give you Ted Rebecca. Right. And that very well could be the case. Or it could be what you've termed it on our text message threads, a red herring, which they've done a couple times with Ted and Rebecca to make you kind of immensely go down that road, but they're not really going to. Here's a couple of things on this one. They don't have a lot of time to establish Ted Rebecca if they're really going to go this route. They only have five episodes left and or four episodes left after this. That's not I don't know if that's enough time. Two, this episode does seem to be establishing a Ted Michelle reunion all episode. I mean, all season they've been going back to this well that Ted misses home. Mm-hmm. I am firmly in the camp of rooting for Ted Rebecca, and I think that the show has sh- has, has shown us they they show don't tell a lot of times, and they've shown us that the best foundation for a good romantic relationship is friendship. They've started friendship with Nate and Jade before they went to a romantic relationship. They started. Um, they basically broke it down to build it up army style, broke it down to build it up with, um, with, with Jamie and Keely, right? Because like they broke that all down. Now they've established a friendship with Keely and Jamie. And I think they'll turn that romantic eventually. And that's why I'm hoping for Ted Rebecca because of this concept that like the best foundation for a romantic relationship is to be friends first. But I say all this, I know I'm being long-winded, but I say all this to say I'm rooting for it. I think the show's given us clues that that's a healthy type of relationship, but I don't think we have enough time. And ultimately, I think I do agree with you that they're going with Ted Michelle. So I'm rooting for one. I think another one's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, you've summarized my view perfectly. Of where I think if they wanted to do this, they should have done it back in season two when they did the red herring with respect to, is Ted the secret person on banter? They didn't, they didn't pull that card then. That would have been the opportunity to kind of set up and explore the potential of the relationship. Now, here at the absolute 11th hour, I just don't think there's time for reason to make it work. And I think there's been too many hints that Ted's ultimate end, end game is to return to Kansas City. And I think he does that by means of reestablishing some form of relationship with Michelle. I, we I, we kind of joked about it at the start of the episode, but I think the show is ultimately going to have a lot of characters return, at least physically or in, with a label, back to where they started, but changed as a result of where they've been over the last few seasons. I think Ted is going to be one of those. I mean, I could see a situation where they're setting up this big, what is Ted going to do? What is Ted going to do? And then we smash cut to Ted's back in Kansas. We think he's with Michelle. And then the phone rings and it's Rebecca and he still has a relationship with Rebecca. And they they establish that they would have to almost explicitly say, man, you know, the fact that we were friends first really makes this a great relationship. And the reason I'm focusing on that is because that's the groundwork they've laid. Right. It won't if they if they if they connect the romantic piece of Ted Rebecca to the fact that they've had this really healthy friendship that they've established for a couple of seasons, then all of a sudden it's not come out of nowhere. Right. If they're connecting those two things. But if they don't connect those two things, then you're right. It's just like, well, where the hell did this come from in the 11th hour? So but again, I hope that's where they go. I don't think that's where they're going. I ultimately, I think. Think we're gonna get Ted Michelle, which, by the way, I can claim victory on that too, because we were we were two, we were, we were two <laughs> episodes, the entire field. We were two episodes into a review uh, when we were reviewing season one of this, and I remember telling you like. What is wrong with this lady? She's insane. Ted's a great family man. He's awesome. Mm-hmm. He's funny. She's eventually going to come crawling back to him. It looks like we might get that. 
It's very possible. I think if I've had to bet what the writers are doing, I think they're just kind of emphasizing again. They're trying to play the audience a little bit, leave us guessing going into how things ultimately resolve there, but also play with the fact that the entire point of prophecy is that you can take any little symbol and interpret it how you want. Everyone in Sam's you know, restaurant got that green matchbook, but now we're all hopping up and down to the fact that Ted's still got one in his pocket. What everyone there and all the customers that have been there since have picked up the same green matchbook. Well, you shouldn't say we. It's not the it's not the the we. You, you certainly weren't jumping up a dad. You saw it. And you said, ah, bah. No, no, no. no. I noticed it very much in the moment. Turned to Bridget and went, ah, look at that. Let's focus on that. Let's see what they do with that. And then the episode more focuses on him and Michelle possibly being a thing. And I'm like, ah, that's more likely. Mm, all right. Moving on. Uh, we have the green matchbook, plenty of other stuff in his pocket too. Luckily, May has rigged the machine to play for free, despite having previously told Ted it was impossible because Shut nothing up. is impossible. Shout out, May. Uh, she drops off a couple English breakfasts on the table, and uh, Doctor Jacob goes to wash his hands because he said he is a hand wash guy. He's a hand wash guy. Key aspect I, of his character. I love the detail that they're ordering full English breakfast because they're tourists, right? They're yeah. they're they they're of course they're going to have the full English breakfast. I don't think that's something that people in England eat every day. I mean, it's a it's a massive. It, it's thing a full to meal. Eat. Yeah, so I, it would it, it's just a good detail that they as tourists one or two nights in England before they pop over to France would order that. Uh, as you said, Michelle kind of mocks Dr. Jacob now that he's yeah, left the room guy. with Ted. Yeah, yeah wash guy. Uh, she offers Ted whether he wants some of the breakfast, but he turns it down saying he's had a big old piece of cereal at home. I love that recurring joke. I love that we keep harkening back to him just still dealing with that giant clump of crushed wheat that he gets that he saw back in season one. Not, 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 nice in-show joke. Uh, and also just not liking the bunch of what he refers to as the tiny piles of the English breakfast. Sheldon reveals, though, that rather than going on a hike on the English countryside, Dr. Jacob told her on the plane trip over that instead... They will be going to Paris, a surprise trip to Paris. One that it's notable, let's focus on this for later, she doesn't seem that excited about. If anything, she seems somewhat awkward about the fact she's telling Ted this. See, it doesn't, because because we have a tendency to expect the worst, like, and I don't know why humans have this. Maybe it's like a, an evolutionary thing. It, to it's like, protective. Yeah, it's like a like a risk assessment type deal. He expects the worst. He doesn't pick up on that clue that Michelle's not excited. And you know, the, the honest truth about it is Michelle's probably not excited because she's worried he's gonna. Yeah. He's going to oh, propose, God. and she's not ready for it. Exactly. Can, can we? Not to bury the lead on this, she turns him down flat, right? Is that how we interpret these events, that he does propose and she says no? Or he just doesn't at all. He reads the scenes. Because uh, I feel like she's she's starting to give him a lot of uh, signs that she's not into it. So, yes, one of two things. Either he she turned him down cold or he read the room and didn't even ask. Uh, either way, a rejection of that particular avenue. Spencer, when you hear... Surprise trip to Paris. Does your mind immediately go to engagement? Because mine, mine no, doesn't really. No, it doesn't the, at all. The show's treating that like it's a done deal. Like there's no other reason you go to Paris. I'm like, no, there's plenty of reason to go to Paris. Not me. I've actually hated Paris the last two times I've been there. But most of the people, if they're that close to it, they're going to make the opportunity because it's the city of lights. It's what all media is trumpeted as being the greatest city on earth. It doesn't seem that weird that if you've never been, you're not going to take the opportunity to just take the channel over there and take a trip. So A... 
of course you wouldn't like Paris. One, a lot of ex- I know, a lot of, one, one, a lot of expectations. Spencer doesn't like when you put expectations on something. He's t- he tends nope. to get disappointed nope. from it. Nope. Nope. Two, nope. everything's super expensive. God, yes. Doesn't the hostels like that. were yeah. a full-on hotel. I did. I felt the most seen this episode when the Diamond Dogs look at Ted and they're like, "What?" Like, because I, I was a little confused that Ted jumped right to it that way. It, yes, that, that's not what my mind does at all. When somebody says surprise trip to Paris. More, I'm thinking they're trying to impress the person than they're yeah. necessarily going to engage. Uh, yeah, I, w- I would say that if, if if a significant other is taking their you know significant other to Paris on a surprise trip, I do think that they're trying to be romantic, sure. not necessarily that they're trying to you know pop the question. Correct. Uh, Ted is very caught off guard by this news, and like you said, he doesn't really read the tea leaves. That Michelle's not that excited about it either, right. and he defaults to well. First, he confirms that she means the default Paris and not the many other Parises that the United States has tried to build themselves. Uh, but then, basically, Arkansas, has to be, Ohio, all three in Ohio, Texas, uh, has to be coaxed into a trebien about the entire thing. And from there, we cut to the yeah, <laughs> might be all that you get. Uh, Keely and Jack yeah, are in bed. Yeah, guess this might well be it. Keely and Jack yeah, are in bed. Yeah. Are in bed together, enjoying each other's company. Uh, their time, though, is continually interrupted by phone notifications. Just, just turn them on mute. Turn them on mute when you're enjoying time. Please, for the love of God, do that. Uh, first notification, though, is on the subject of a big, swanky polo party event tomorrow with Jack's Uncle Bernie and his family friend Bernard Arnault of Louis Vuitton fame. Return to that later. Uh, Keely is also Boy, invited. Louis Vuitton, does he need another fake niece? Yeah, Keely is over the moon on this can, opportunity. Can I just say that I don't, um, this actress who plays Keely, please look up the name so people don't scream at me. Yeah, yeah. Um, the actress who plays Keely, who I absolutely adore, I think that her. Temple. Sh- yeah, her. Um, she has a real strength in serious moments. I don't want to, like, take that off the table because she has some really serious moments that are emotionally effective this episode. But the thing I think that she's the most skilled at is these highly comedic moments. Those outbursts, the thing last episode where she went, ah, come on greyhounds. And then here where she goes, Oh my God, do you need another fake these? Both of these made me laugh out loud in a show that increasingly while funny, doesn't make me laugh out loud. It's one of the things I find a little bit disappointing about her character arc this season is that she's been on such an island. She's been so far removed from the other characters. I feel like they're not making full use of the actress's talents. Just because they keep just running her through other characters that aren't previously part of the show, that are just being brought in for her own story, rather than the established cast that she works and riffs so well on as a great comedy actress and even a great dra- dramatic actress. I just feel like they've been doing her disservice with how they how they planned out her arc this season. Well, they did give her a couple funny lines, because this one sure made me laugh when she said, does he need another fake niece? Yeah. Uh, she's excited. Um, she's not necessarily as big on the idea of going on riding horses, having a previously apparently a bad photo shoot experience with one, but once she's reassured that it's just going to be a celebrities on the red carpet for standing around drinking champagne and eating ti- big trays of tiny food, she is in. Uh, however, though, her phone is also going on blast as a certain leak has occurred. Not finding out yet what that is, we instead cut to Nate and Jade in a similar position. Uh, you emphasize Nate's another storyline that it's just completely a field separate from everyone else. I think this one's to an even greater degree. They don't interact with anybody else that matters to the rest of the story. And as a result, 
I'm not that invested. Also, just because they're emphasizing this as character growth on Nate's part, when I don't think it's the more interesting part of what the, that character growth should be. It's not character growth. Men are nice to women they want to sleep with. That doesn't mean you're a nice guy. I I, I will say this. The show's this. presenting it that way, though. Yeah, they're wrong. I'm, I'm, I, they're not going to convince me of that because I've just seen too many asshole men be nice to the woman that they're romantically interested in while being a jerk to everybody else. They uh, they they did kind of connect Nate a little bit. I mean, you know. Ted and his group do show up at Nate's um, this is true. game this week. I, here's the thing. Have you ever done this thing where you wake up in the morning and before the person that you're next to wakes up, you run and you get showered and you, you do the, <laughs> Not the toothbrush? Not even once. Not even once. Yeah, I didn't think so because you're, you're kind of a one-woman guy. But I, I in my 20s, I, I did date around a little bit. Absolutely have done this. I, <laughs> I belly laughed when I saw this. And it's you'd always do it. Or I should speak. I have always done this in the past when there's a feeling of like I'm dating above my station a little bit. Uh-huh. Like I, I need to kind of try to impress. Top I dated. What, I remember one time I was like probably, probably like 20. This is so. It's a long time ago. I, I did this woman. I probably brushed my teeth. I would go see her on weekends because she didn't live near me. I'd just go see her for the weekend, and uh, I'd, I'd probably brush my teeth ten times a day during those weekend trips. It was. <laughs> I was so neurotic about like any any hint of weakness. I really felt oh, like God. I was in over my head. So yeah, shout out Nate. That was such a wonderful detail. Uh, as you say, he has awkwardly after awkwardly thanking uh, thank you for staying over. It comes out that he is snuck out of bed to brush his teeth, shave, shower, and use the bathroom in a different flat, all for the sake of just presenting him at his best self and not disturb her while she's in bed. He invites her to breakfast, perhaps English breakfast. You know, that's the only thing they serve over there, right? Uh, and attempts to bridge the subject of what their relationship status is. Mm. Driven by the fact that Nate is awkward as all hell, this goes absolutely nowhere. And Jay, much less uncomfortable as a person, confirms that her breath stinks and then goes to take a wee. Different experience of mor- getting up in the morning. Spencer, what's the best way to do this discussion, the terminology discussion? Drop some knowledge on our listeners. I feel like direct is usually the best. I think it's one of the things the show emphasizes, and I think it's true. It's just, hey, you know, I kind of view us as boyfriend, girlfriend. Do you feel the same way? Oof. Oof. I don't know if I'd do that one. Not if you're not, if you're not sure. I don't know about that one. I Again, better to, better, better to be sure than not. I think the first thing to do is to say, hey, um, totally cool if you are, but you still you seeing anybody else? And be prepared to lie because if they say yes, you need to say yes. I'm still seeing people. No, too. no, you gotta lie. Yeah, absolutely, you have to lie because this <laughs> is this, this is this is posturing. It's a position of power. So first thing you do is ask, are you still seeing anybody else? If they say yeah, then say yeah, you are. If they say no, then then say no, you are not too. But I would always ask that, are you seeing anybody else first? Because you, last you thing want, you, you want to draw it out. Yeah, well, you don't want to you don't want to jump to right to are we boyfriend girlfriend before you even find out if they have somebody else that they're going to see that night. Like you, you need to clarify they, that that piece you, first. You, you will find that detail out with their response to that question. Yeah, I don't know if I'd jump right to it, Spencer. That was That's a, that's an intense move. I, I, me, that's me, intense. You know, just committing, risk-taking. That's how that's I run. Wild thing. We're going with Major League still. Going we? back I, to I Major League this. last episode. <laughs> a little outside. Uh, back to Keely and Jack. The leak is a video that Keely took of herself Uh-oh. masturbating that hey. she sent to someone else. At this point, we don't know who. We will find out later. Can I say something about Keely that I really enjoy? Uh, is it her masturbating on video or something no, else? No. Okay. It's that when it, clearly Jamie was playing a game at Newcastle United FC and she wasn't with him. So she sends this video to him, which 
it's just to a warm really, him up, as it were. Just a really like interesting kind like. Yeah, I mean, it's sexual, right? But it's like a, a kind thing to do to your boyfriend. You know Jamie was all about it at the time. Of and in the background, Fiona Apple's Criminal is playing. I mean, <laughs> come on. like that is Quality music choice, too. Man, what a wonderful music choice to a solo masturbation uh, video that you're sending to your significant other. I Look, if you're going to do one of these videos, up to you if you do them. Pick, pick the right music, pick, really. Do, do a little Fiona Apple in the background. That's a wonderful, wonderful choice by Keeley. Uh, Keely is rightfully freaking out, not assured, not reassured by news that it is a massive leak affecting people around the country, uh, because everyone she knows is going to see this, and she doesn't know how to handle that right now, nor would I in a similar moment. Jack, though, in what should already have told Keely this is not what she really means, reassures her that she's going to take care of it, as if she could delete the entirety of the internet to make that happen. Obviously not what she can do, she has something else planned. But Keely doesn't realize that right now. I also just didn't like that she didn't give, like, I just feel like when this, this is a really intense thing to happen to a person. God, yes. And I think that she should have let Keely freak out. Like, I felt like she was trying to stop Keely's reaction. She should have just been there for it. Let like, Keely was freaking out. And she, was, and she goes, no, 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 shh, 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 shh. Like, I, I wouldn't have done any of that. Like, mm-hmm. let her have the reaction and just say, hey, look, I'm just going to, what, whatever happens, whatever happens with this thing. I'm here with you. You got somebody in the trenches with you. Don't worry about me and you, but they're going to worry about other things. And this, this like false hope of I'll get rid of it. I mean, that's never, obviously never going to happen. It isn't, but in the moment it appears to reassure Keely. And I think that's what she's going for. Not the actual processing of that kind of pain and difficulty and trauma and everything else associated with it. Not brewing a punt of tea and just spending time with her, but more the surface bandaid of don't worry, I shall fix this. Just to stop the conversation, maybe. Did you see Jack has the line? It's actresses, singers, a couple politicians, some random reality show guy with a very big dick. Do you know who she's talking about there? I actually don't know. So this is Jeff Probst. Jeff Probst is the um, the guy from Survivor. He uh, had some nude videos leaked and people said he was well hung or whatever. I, I don't know if I love that the show is commenting on how terribly terribly painful this is for keely to have this leak happen but 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 yet they joke about a particular person that this happened to because it's a guy right like there they would not have made this joke if it was a woman like i didn't i didn't like that piece at all i hadn't really thought about that but that's a really good point that's kind of messed up on the show's part yep uh at the Richmond locker room, Will is having fun having Henry doing his job in game slash challenge form, which, you know, you you just do this with kids. The guys comment on whether this is, you know, child labor, a game, or an example of late-stage capitalism not really giving, caring. But this is just what you do with kids. What you're doing, you make a game of it, and they have a blast. I, I did not find it that weird. Me neither. Uh, as they watch, though, uh, Ted is more focused on Paris. He asked the group, and they confirmed that Paris is the place to propose to before all other places in the world. I disagree with this. It is a place that's associated with it, but I'm with the group here in a minute. My mind does not default to that's inevitably what's going to happen there. Where do you think is the best place in the continental United States to ask somebody to marry you? Other than your living room. Like, you'd probably pick your living room, but like some some other place. Just on the couch, just still wearing socks, getting on the knees, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, no, someplace remote and pretty, I think, I think is usually the best place to go. Like on a nice hike, place in the wilderness, I think that's more, you know, my idea. I feel like that probably if you're doing the family feud for this question, I think the majority of Americans might say Times Square. I think Times Square is... A God, 
Yeah. Like Times Square does really suck. Yeah, I'd probably pick somewhere like, I don't know, a beach maybe, a beach where, or a mountain. Beach or a mountain. I don't remember. Where did you? You who is um, married. Well, she, she asked me. Um, That'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. She asked me on a vacation. Um, kind of. It was it was a strange conversation. But it was. I didn't have the prototypical down on one knee ass like gotcha. you know, male thing. Um, but if I was going to do that, I'd probably I'd probably do it on a on a getaway. Right. I don't know that I would do it necessarily at the house. I'd do it somewhere else. And I think Beach Mountain. Beach or Mountain, folks. That's what I would recommend. I- I gotta say, Beard's idea of the Hall of Mirrors at Lindenhorf Palace in Germany, because if she agreed, I'd be surrounded by a thousand yeses. That sounds like actually a pretty nice idea, but, you know, he also defaults to, sure, Paris. Too. Or Paris. Uh, Ted then airs his theory that Michelle is going to be proposed to, and the Diamond Dogs are summoned. Oh, Ted. So sorry. You want to talk about it? Look at Roy. Like, Roy, I think, has backslid a lot in his character growth. This thing with he does with Keeley here in a minute, I'm ready to throw my fucking computer against the wall. But with Ted, he has developed a close friendship because his first reaction is, do you want to talk about it? Which is not a Roy reaction. And he would have stayed if they hadn't just done the damn barking thing. Oh, so like, yeah. and I am fine with the concept of the Diamond Dogs. Does it have to be that? I'm with Roy. I'm perfectly fine with talking about our feelings, you know, addressing... How, how does no, Beard describe it? No, you're not. Yes, I am. 100%. All, all face lie. <laughs> A group of men committed to supporting each other by sharing the most intimate thoughts, feelings, and experiences. Isn't that just me, man? Come it's on. A complete lie to make a point. You lied to make a point that you don't like the barking. It's a necessary point here. <laughs> I'd be more more for it without the barking. All in for the barking. Love the diamond dogs. Uh, Roy's out immediately, like me. Uh, Trent, on the other hand, like Lee, subs in for the group. I love uh, how serious Higgins takes this. When he gets a diamond dogs text, it's more important than a text from Rebecca. Like priorities. <laughs> he sprints, proper sprints down from wherever he was to get there in time. There's a character that still works for me is Higgins it, because we've talked about how some of the characters are, are have gotten a little silly, you know, like um, uh, football is life. Like he right away. Almost all the players. Yeah. yeah but Higgins still walks that line in a season one esque way for me where when he says something, there's still a little like he could, he could, like he's when still he's whimsical. Yeah. Well, when he's taking will on that sort of sojourn around about jazz and Amsterdam, like I took him seriously as a character, but he's still in these moments can be very funny. Yeah. Uh, he, he's still achieving a proper balance. Whereas some other ones, they're not just trying as hard for that. Uh, 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 he, he he gets there out of breath and asks Ted, you know, whether Dr. Jacob asked his permission, to which Ted confirms that he's <laughs> her ex-husband, not her father, so no. <laughs> that was a weird little conversation I found funny. They uh, then asks Ted the important question, well, how do you know? Uh, to which he confirms that his sole data point is that Dr. Jacob is taking on her a surprise trip to Paris. How would you summarize the rest of the room's response to hearing this is Ted's sole reason for calling this Diamond Dogs meeting? The same fucking reaction I had, which was, is that it? Is that it? (laughs) I I, I like Beard's just reaction of unbelievable. Just like, we just went through the emotional ringer to support you, and this is what you're offering? This is the reason? God, man. That's it? They obviously point out this is a profound assumption, and Trent just cuts right through it that you can't worry about something that hasn't happened yet. Or as, you know, Higgins spins it, 
Find out before you flip out. Shout out Higgins. Shout out Trent Crimp. Love that the fact that Trent is just one of the guys. You know, he 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 talked about Oof. how he talked about how investigative journalism was his sort of past life, and he's like, you can't take the the journalist out of the boy. You know that whole joke when he was he was following around mm-hmm. um, some people doing a little investigative journalism. I would proffer that he's doing investigative journalism now. Like his, yeah. his ability to immerse himself in the coaching staff and just be part of the team is investigative journalism. He's still really fucking good at it because he, he, he comes, he comes off to it me. He comes to the heart. He comes off to me right now. as just part of the coaching staff. Yeah. I mean, Ted accepts the advice kind of obviously grudgingly. Like he does. That's not at all the rea- reaction that he wanted from this conversation. But the Diamond Dogs disperse. That he kind of cuts it short, it. right? He kind of cuts like, the conversation anything else? short. Anybody? No? Okay, Diamond Dog's gone. He he has a different idea about what he wants to do now. Uh, in terms of other ideas about what people want to do, Nate at West Ham is attempting to call his own version of the Diamond Dogs, which he refers to decidedly worse name as the Love Hounds. Uh, Ugh. He has called uh, what amount to Coach Disco, and I believe his name was Roger. I don't think we heard his employee, employee's name before, or at least I didn't note it, but Roger. Uh, he'd also call Rupert, who is not only just a no-show, he is pointedly having no desire to come despite prior reassurances that he would. Uh, Roger's mostly just worried that they're in trouble in some way, which kind of gives us a bit of a hint as we haven't gotten to see it on screen because they want to make Nate light up likable again. But the atmosphere at West Ham is not great for employees. Uh, Doesn't he get the line, I read this book, that if you like a woman, you should insult her? We're going to get there in a second, yeah. Uh, That's in my Sports Center Top 10. uh, Roger tries to start with the stresses of caring about aging parents, because, you know, Nate just seemingly allowed them the floor. Also, Roger, preach, my man. That is a hell of a stressful thing. Can I just say something? That Nate, Nate in my mind... And I know that I don't care. I mean, I guess I care a little bit what the show's portraying, but I'm just telling you what my, my what is going on in my head. Nate, on, I don't think that Nate has progressed at all. Like the fact that he's nice to Jade, who he wants to be romantically involved with, I toss that to the side. That has nothing to do with his personal growth. And he, the, the ego in this whole conversation of I want to pull everybody together because I want so people to talk we, about we can talk about my thing. But when somebody else brings up something that, by the way. Who the, the person dealing with that is dealing with way more than Nate is with Jade. God, yeah. He shuts it right down and goes back to me. It's like, yeah. dude, you haven't grown at all. I'll, I'll, I would very much like if the show emphasizes this. I would very much like if the show reveals ultimately that Nate has a lot of growth in actual, you know, proper directions beyond just simply earning the affections of a woman. This may be a hint at that, that this is a bit of a suggestion of the selfishness that has been permeating Nate for two seasons. Here's what I'd like to know. I'd like to know how Nate treats a woman he doesn't want to be romantically involved with. Fun question. That's how. I, that's what I'm interested it, in with Nate. Is he still doing the cold shoulder to female employees that wish him a good morning as he's walking through West Ham? We don't know because we haven't gotten to see anything outside of his relationship with Jade for the last, like, five episodes. I agree with that. Uh... He turns the conversation back to himself and expresses his concerns about what label him and Jade are putting on their relationship. The room's advice, I think we can summarize, is less than helpful. Of where Disco just emphasizes that he's been married three times, and so his advice is never let him know how you feel. It's expensive. Uh, meanwhile, like you said, Roger quotes a book that he read that, you know, you should insult women you like, because that's productive. More on that in Sports Center Top 10. Uh, Nate promptly dismisses the uh, first and probably only meeting of the Lovehounds and reassures Roger that, again, they're not in trouble even now. 
Ted, though, arrives in Rebecca's office to drop off biscuits. Uh, having ditched training while Henry, as we see outside the window, is covering with the team just, you know, celebrating their surrogate son. What do you... Oh my god, that's a lovely t-shirt you've got there. He's got a Biscuits with the Boss t-shirts, people. My friend who got me the tea that I had on this same podcast got me the Biscuits with the Boss t-shirt right That is really nice. Isn't that cool? The Ted swag is everywhere. I've got you a pair of long Ted uh, socks that I forgot to give you in New Orleans that are are coming for you. (laughs) I think the, the, the... Ted, Ted has become, I think it's because it's the flagship for Apple Plus, there's, there's Ted swag everywhere. God, yes. Including Jamie Tart Jer- jerseys. More on that later. Hey, question for you. How's Rebecca look this episode? Uh, this is interesting here. She starts out looking good. Looking good. She ends the episode looking 10 out of 10 fine as all hell. We'll get oh there. Oh my gosh. Holy smokes. Okay. I, I, wouldn't, I didn't really notice. We'll get there eventually. <laughs> uh can I say this about Rebecca though? Her, she is her verbal sparring is the elitist of the of the elite that I've ever seen her. She's on fucking fire. She's got the best one liners of the episode. Uh, please emphasize them as we go through them. He arrives in the office. You know Henry's covering practice. The team just celebrating their surrogate son. One, and two, three, four, it, five. Yeah. Uh, he's here though to ask a favor of Rebecca. See whether she can hire a PI, given his concerns about certain possible Parisian proposals. Is he basically just asking for a bonus here? <laughs> about whether you, out of your own pocket, will hire yeah, a PI for me? That's kind of what it seems like. It's like he doesn't ask for a name. He just asks her to hire a PI. Sure, maybe. Which you know, probably to you know, follow people cross continent is not necessarily the cheapest thing. Pretty expensive. Uh, Rebecca tries to reassure Ted that there are plenty of valid reasons to go to Paris without getting engaged. Preach, sister. Uh, emphasizing that, you know, they've got amazing food. Uh, After which, getting engaged. Uh, or you can go see Oscar Wilde's grave. Before they get engaged. Oh No, no, no. Or, or you can go to the Louvre and make fun of people for taking blurry pictures of an overrated painting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where'd you and Rupert get engaged? That is not important. <laughs> ah, so yes, I'm talking about. Uh, Ted cuts through that, you know, getting record reveal that she got engaged in Paris, apparently. And he rants that right now, Dr. Romance is probably getting ready to pop the question on top of the Eiffel Tower, the most romantic friggin' place in the world. Becca drops one of just an utter haymaker of proper English, just mocking of the French. You got the line? The Eiffel Tower is just a lamppost of the publicist. Holy smokes. I agree, but well said. Here's Maybe my take on it. intended to be permanent. She even hit this line before. She said, make fun of all the people. When she says, go to the Louvre, she says, uh, make fun of all the people taking blurry pictures of an overrated painting. She's obviously referencing Mona the Mona Lisa there. Here's my take on the uh, Mona Lisa. <clears throat> Spencer, you ready for my Mona Lisa take? I wasn't expecting to have this, but I definitely am now. So the Mona Lisa, I don't think anybody would say is the greatest technical painting that we have. I don't think Da Vinci would have said it was his greatest painting. Right. I think that what you're doing when you go see the Mona Lisa is almost like when you go to like the American History Museum and they have like a they have like one of the copies of the Declaration of Independence on display. Sure. You're going to see history. It's a you're pilgrimage. You're not you're not going to see like and and like get super excited about like staring into this painting and looking at the technical aspects of it and being lost in it for like hours. You're like I'm going to see the Mona Lisa to say I've seen the Mona Lisa. Like, that's basically what you're doing. You're going to see history, not a painting. 
No, as we've expressed, if you want to go see an amazing painting, The Night Watch is just right over there in the Netherlands. Go see that. And you will spend an hour looking at that motherfucker. It is the it is so big. It's much bigger than you expect. It's a, it's a wall. Isn't Floor it? to like, ceiling. It is a monster of a painting. And it is it is something you'll get lost in. The Mona Lisa you stare at. And then for the rest of your life, you can say, I've seen the Mona Lisa. Not yeah. unlike I went to D.C. recently and went by the uh, Natural History Museum, saw the Hope Diamond. Hope Diamond, not that impressive, but guess what? Now I can say I've seen the Hope Diamond. I, too, have seen the Hope Diamond. It's a, it's a big diamond with some nice framing. Yeah, look at that. Uh, Wonder what Rebecca would call the Hope Diamond. <laughs> God. No, that's that's ours now. It's part of American history. You don't mock that. It's uh, Dale's in a museum. Uh, Ted, throughout this conversation, emphasizes that he is not okay. He, he is not okay. Uh, and he needs to know what is going on with him. Question, by the way, where's Dr. Sharon? Great this, question. This, this seems like a moment of when Ted should have been talking to Dr. Sharon this episode, but she is AWOL. Is she probably having sex with one of her rugby clients? She has not been the best of therapists for him this season. She's mostly been cutting him off and not really seemingly getting what he wants, or maybe he's just not talking with her. I think he was more willing to talk with her, though, and maybe she's not as interested in having his McClough. I don't know. She's just been absent for a lot of episodes now. Don't don't like try to dog weird. therapist here. Like I don't. We don't know. Yeah, what's going not worth on. it. Don't go. Switzer's yeah. going right. I know where he's going. I'm going right, to cut right, that. Right. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, um, dis- I'm, yeah. I'm disappointed for a half second. Never again. <laughs> uh, Rebecca, for the right moment, though, tries to accommodate Ted by saying that uh, she's going to offer him. Uh, Can we get a fan to, to send you a t-shirt that says, I'm disappointed for a half second, never again, Spencer? Can we please get, put that on a t-shirt, somebody? <laughs> no, I think that's, that's too much of an expression that's to me. It's fucking wonderful in every aspect of things you review. Disappointed for a half second, never again. <laughs> no, it's, too, it's too putting a summary in my life, sir. That's perfect. That's so good. Uh, Ted, the, mostly this moment is disturbed to finally realize that Oscar Wilde is dead. Oh. Man's been dead since 1900, but sure, Ted, I'm here for you right now. Some things he said are still very relevant. I, I will very much agree with that. More on that later. Uh, Barbara is entering Kiwi's Oof. office with a statement prepared by Jack, or, well, Jack's lawyers anyway, which is for Keeley to sign. Keeley's at first interested, you know, excited. This is going to be, you know, some way help her with respect to the pain of everything she's going through right now. It is not that. It is a statement, which, as she quickly reads, amounts to an apology for her part in making the video in the first place. So here's the thing. Over on the Line of Succession podcast, where we are at the same time we're doing this podcast, every week we are also reviewing episodes of Succession every week. I had a conversation with you about Roman Roy fired a person and not... I would say the the in not a way that limits exposure. Let's just call it that. It didn't limit sure. exposure. And I got in this back and forth with you where I was like, "Fuck the lawyers! Like if you're going to fire somebody, just fire." Them. Now, I'm I'm willing to say that that was an extreme take when you're we firing. Were having fun. When, when you say "fuck the lawyers" when you're firing somebody as a manager, it's <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. a pretty extreme take. I am willing to stand on this ground to die. Fuck the lawyers in this statement. Keeley should never say this. Under any circumstances, fuck her business, fuck it all. Like, let it all burn down if you have to, but don't, I mean, I mean, obviously she can do what she wants to do, but like, I would, uh, what I'm trying to say is like, I would be the biggest cheerleader in her corner if she never wanted to say this. Was it clear to you from the word go that this was more about Jack than it was about Keely? Yes. Or did, yeah. I, I, as soon as, could, as soon as this was read, I had the internal monologue. I said, oh, Jack's embarrassed by her. Jack's doing damage control for herself. She, she's embarrassed, and her yes. she's embarrassed. Her friends have seen this video. 
that I'm associated with a person that's part of this. Exactly. Man, we've had four episodes with Jack right now. Has it just been straight off a cliff almost after, pretty much immediately after the first episode of her ended? I just loved the idea that this woman who, you know, lived in this very male-dominant profession, which was modeling and, you know, advertisements and working, you know, then, then, then working with a professional sports team that was all male. She'd been around men so much and she's had to, like, harness, like, male attention for a career for so long. I just love the idea that she would end up with a woman like that. That seemed great to me, Yeah. but the character that they've done it with is just shit. Like it, it, it's not even that interesting of a character. It's just like a no. sort of pompous, like spoiled rich kid that she's ended up with. So yes, they've tanked the character, but I did really like the concept that she would end up with a guy. Or she would end up with a woman long-term. I think that's, that's also going to be, down a river because of Jamie. But anyway, that was my take on it. That's probably why in the three or four episodes ago, I was so pro Keely and Jack. I just like the idea that she could kind of get away from that male energy all the time, mm -hmm. but yeah, they're not going that way. Well, they're, they're emphasizing this episode that one of the main things we thought about her, that she was a businesswoman, that she built something, that this was money that she'd earned and developed. And she was more, you know, she, she had something that she had made for herself. None of that's really true too. She's a trust fund baby. She's just working off her dad's money. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I think I went. I think I, now I'm going back. I think I went too hard on the idea that Keely shouldn't say the statement. If Keely wanted to stay the say, say, say the statement, then all of her friends should line up in support of her saying it. But, but it if she her decision, to if 100%. she but if she doesn't want to say it, she should have people with fucking not even boxing gloves, like you know the bare knuckle tape. Oh, there should, you should nails put, the, put to fucking it. bare knuckle tape and brass knuckles in her corner, ready to defend her for not saying this fucking statement. Uh, Barbara even feels awkward just even suggesting it because she obviously realizes this is not going to land well with Keely and probably doesn't appreciate that she's being the one that's having to deliver the message, did you, honestly. Did, did you get the sense that the I'm sorry this happened was so, so genuine from Barbara? Yes. Yeah, I thought too. that was a very genuine moment from Barbara. I also thought that she was also genuinely feeling that I'm really sorry that Jack is having me deliver this to you and I'm here for you kind of right now. Yep. Uh, in the Richmond locker room, Colin is going through Jamie's just marketplace of Lynx body spray, choosing leather and cookies. Personally, I'm more of a f fan of Epic Fresh, but you do you, Colin. Uh, and th when they suddenly hear about what is referred to in the show as the, forgive me, it's a sun headline, the Great Awankening. Thank you, the sun. What's the opposite of clever? Uh, the sun. Uh, Van Damme and some of the other players are exceptionally excited with Colin trying to join in for the cover's sake. Uh, but Isaac is axiomatic that they shouldn't be looking at it, that it's other people's private property. Isaac, I'm with you. Good on you. Holding up three questions. What you got? Actually, go go through the go through the scene. I won't I won't ask the question. Let's let's not do any commentary. Just go through the recap and then have three questions for you. Okay. Uh, the team debates the ethics and uh, uh, the ethics of the situation, and also just picture retention in general. With Sam explaining that it's his personal policy to let his exes delete whatever they want from his phone. Which cost him Candy Crush, but he in some way thought that that was okay. Sam, you're too good for this earth. Uh, they they draw inspiration from Les Mis uh, in terms of doing what is right, regardless of the circumstances. Fuck yeah, 24601. And then Woo. debate whether they should be deleting such memories from their own phones. Eventually, coming to the still debated conclusion that maybe they should delete all such pictures or burn them if they're physical, regardless of the circumstances. They're still going back and forth, though, until it comes up that Keely, someone they know, someone oh. they care about, 
was also affected by this. Can I just say this? That it is, it's a, it's a fact. It's not even fucking opinion. It's fact that men tend to not give a shit what happens to women until it's a woman they know. That's why in every fucking courtroom ever, lawyers have uttered the phrase, what would you do if this was your wife? What would you do if this was your daughter? Because men can't, inter- men can't internalize that women have been wronged unless it's a fucking woman that they know. I, yes, of course, I liked that they were sympathetic to Keeley, but I was just depressed that it had to be a woman they knew before they gave a shit that people were traumatized by this whole fucking thing. Like, and it's good, it, it's good writing. It was because authentic. It's, it's good writing because that's how men are. It's absolutely how men are. It's just so depressing. It's like, can't you like feel some level of sympathy, empathy, pain for some woman that, just cause you, but it has to be a woman, you know, in order for you to actually understand that they've been mistreated. It's really frustrating. You're asking me, sir, about the processing of human empathy. All I can say is, you know, I try, but it's not my default response to any situation. You know, that's how I work. They'll be okay. They'll be okay. Uh, Isaac then declares by axiomatic power of being team captain that they are all potential targets, and so they have to delete every picture and photo they've ever been sent on their phones. We we debated this by text. One other question. One other question. We'll get there. Uh, The team begrudgingly, I would say, uh, go along with with this decree, except Colin who tries to slip out. Isaac notices, follows, and still trying to treat it somewhat joking, just takes Colin's phone while Colin was still looking at some pictures. Mm. He looks down. He notices what those pictures were. And he shares what amounts to an ambiguous look and kind of nod at Colin as Colin just seems horrified out of his very skin. In the scene, sir, your questions. Yeah, number one question. Spencer, what is the, and again, this is where we, we have to enter into almost your theoretical idea about this because you've, you've been in one relationship since Reagan was president, but the protocol, almost literally, yeah. the protocol on deleting pictures, how do you feel about this in the abstract? What do you think is the appropriate protocol when you've been sent nudes, maybe you sent nudes, et cetera, et cetera. Now you've broken up. It seems like the breakup is for good. It seems like you're going to your separate corners, never to come back in the center of the ring again. What is the protocol for deleting pictures? Uh, well, point number one, if they ask, absolutely. 100% delete all those pictures. I would generally advise also just probably period delete the pictures once you're no longer in the relationship. I think that in some ways that'd be kind of part of the process of just moving on anyway, rather than keep that kind of material. Also a certain measure of respect. But I think the absolute unconditional word is if they ask, they go on. Beyond that, I think I would still default to probably better just to clear them off your phone. Check. Better not stop to keep them on your phone, period. Yeah, I think you make a great point there, which is if the – so here's my take on – on uh, here's something I've never thought I'd say on a podcast. Here's my take on nude pictures. Okay. We are hitting all kinds of grounds for this episode. Go on. So this is where I want to get all men in a room, in a locker room, all right? All, all cis men. Let's get all straight men in a room, right? Let's I, get you all in here, and we're going to sit down. And I'm going to talk to you. Okay. Right, we've, we've got four billion present. Go on. Okay. General consensus among the team is that we want women to send us these naked pictures, correct? Yes, 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 yes. I'm getting a lot of head nods in the locker room. See. Okay. Okay. Well, then why don't we make it a safe action for them to do? Can we do that? How about we not exploit them later, send it to our friends, keep them beyond when the woman wants us to keep them? Why don't <laughs> that, we play by the encourage f- the process? Why don't we play by the fucking rules so that women will do this thing that we all collectively want? 
seem to want them to do. Okay. So there you go. That, that, I think that that's where men talk out of both sides of their mouth. And Keeley calls it out later for, you know, forcing women to be sexual and then, you know, penalizing them for being sexualized. Like let, if you're going to, you're going to ask them to send these nude pictures, how about you treat it with respect when you get them? So that's number one. Mm-hmm. Second question. Now I need you to take Spencer good guy hat off and put lawyer hat on who owns these nude pictures in America. If you, if you have prepared and created a picture, you have copyright on it, whether it's been declared or not. That's how it works. All right. Now, but, but if you send it to somebody else that you, you're basically giving them a license, they, they don't own it. They can't reproduce it. They arguably can't distribute it for poor, but they could distribute it for nonprofit purposes, unless you were some way restrict that in terms of how it occurs, but you still maintain ownership on what you created. But the people, but you can't, there's no legal way to like force them to delete it if you've sent it to them. I don't know. I'd actually kind of think there might be. Okay. Because I, I, I'd, I'd, I'd always heard that I'd be there curious wasn't. to look into that. I'd always heard that there wasn't. I'd always heard that if you do send it to somebody that you've kind of released I mean, the practic- pr- Practically, the moment you create something and send it to someone else or post it online, you may still own it. Your ability to control it, though, has disappeared in- instantly. Yeah. All right. Last thing. What do you have to say about Isaac's demand that all the players delete pictures off their phones? Kind of bullshit. Uh, we, t- we talked about this previous. Uh, we talked about this, you know, before the episode about you described this as being just something that a team captain can do, and I just didn't really understand that dynamic. But if I'd been one of the players and that guy asked me to do something that was entirely outside of the scope of my view of his authority and going very much into something that's just personal to me, I would be inclined to tell him in the politest of terms to get fucked. But please tell, t- explain how I'm wrong here. Well, I'm I'm not like in a professional sports team, but my understanding is that like these guys are in like or women, whoever is on a team, right? In this case, it's guys. These guys are in a lot. The they are in the trenches together, and that level, that feeling of connectedness, goes beyond what you would think is quote normal scope of whatever, right? Like they control. They like they are in each other's shit about all kinds of stuff that have nothing to do with the soccer field. And that's the interconnected nature of being a team. And like a team captain would have not like some sort of written or policy authority, but like just sort of acknowledged, assumed, understood authority to say things like this. It's probably at the extreme, but I, I think that there's, there's more of a tendency in team sports for this type of thing to occur than maybe you would know. Or even I would really know. I mean, I only know because I'm a big sports fan. I watch a lot of like basketball and football. So that's how I know about it. But I I think that it's maybe more realistic than somebody who doesn't live in that world would know. And that's the only point I wanted to make about it. I I accept that and would still call it kind of bullshit. Sure. Sure. Uh, Keely and Rebecca, they were talking about the leak. Uh, I love when the two of them actually have conversations. Isn't it lovely when she spends time with the main cast? How about this? Uh... Anyway, you keep going. I, I, I'm i jumping ahead. But we'll get there. Uh, they're talking about Kiwi's history of being sexually harassed and or Holy abused by a teacher. shit. When she was which, 15. Which I'm a little bit disappointed that the show kind of tried to play that as like an offside joke. I, the writing in this episode was not wonderful. Like, first off, you had the whole, like, we're going to make fun of somebody that this actually happened to. Like in, in, in like in a joke and actually talking about the guy's genitals, like in the joke, it, yeah. which was actually crude and absolutely unnecessary. Now you have this, which is like 
possibly a more distressing thing. I don't, I don't, it's hard to like quantify, but like it's, it, it's, it's a crime. It was crimes committed on her. In the realm of what's occurred now happened to her when she was 15 years old and it was a teacher and the, and the video and the, the picture went this around school. Made rounds. It, this is the type of thing that kids kill themselves over. Like people die over this type of thing when it happens in schools. Like it's not to be joked about. And they did treat it like it was sort of like an offhanded joke. Like I, I didn't like that at all from the writing team. That one, the first one I kind of breezed over, this one caught me off guard. It's like, that just doesn't seem like good taste. That seems like more like, you know, she should be commiserating with you about that horrible thing that happened in your past and is now repeating rather than just playing it off. They, that, oh, yeah, but guys are terrible. They literally treated Mr. Daniels was my teacher as the punchline. Like, that was yeah. the punchline of the joke. It's like, that's not a fucking joke. Anyway, I, did, I didn't like that at all. Uh, Keely notes a very important distinction in her mind. Part of her career has been sharing we'll say somewhat racy pictures of herself online through media as a model. It's part of her job to a certain degree, but those were ones she chose. Those were ones that she elected to release, to have published, to be sold out into the world. This was not. And that makes this so much more worse in terms of how she's processing it. In her mind, there's very why clear do difference we, between those. Why do we have to, why do we have to even talk about, like, why is this a point that we even have to make? It's a very so very common thing in the social world to say, well, you know, you're a porn star, you're a model. What do you care if there's nude photos of you? It's your job. Okay, well, I, I allowed I allowed MTV's Cribs to come into my home to view to view my home. Mm. That doesn't mean that I should have a fucking twenty four seven security camera footage just streaming online of my home at all times. I controlled. Some people you, think such. I controlled when you come in to see my home. We all accept that. We all we all accept that. That doesn't mean that I have that the general public has a license to see your home for perpetuity forever. Like, why is this even a point we have to make? It's kind of confusing. I, I think there's a fair portion of the population that look at these kind of mass leaks and just say, particularly for individuals that are engaged in some more racy professions, eh, you know, they make a career off this. What does it matter if I look at it? Until it happens to their mother, their daughter, their sister, and then all of a sudden they want to shoot someone over it. Empathy outside of immediate connections is hard, man, apparently. Uh... She also asked whether Rebecca can, I quote, restructure society so women aren't constantly sexualized while simultaneously being crucified for being sexual. Good luck and God bless. I'm with Rebecca and just saying on it because that one's going to take a while. Biden's on that, right? Uh, yeah, going to fix it. Sure, we'll see. Uh, she then reveals how Jack responded. Uh, Rebecca quickly notes the lawyer. It's caked in lawyer ick. Let's get Spencer well, a t-shirt. Well two said, t-shirts also, this episode. What'd you say? <laughs> two two Spencer shirts this episode. The second, it's caked in lawyer ick. Ah, uh, yeah, it, it is. <laughs> this is lawyer this is lawyer-esque right here. This is lawyer speak. Uh pointing out that Keeley doesn't well, it's emphasized that Keeley doesn't want to say it, and so she should instead tell Jack that she doesn't want to and give her a chance to surprise her with how she responds. She also, uh, Rebecca also notes the silver lining of, you know, that you've given many young women a masturbation teaching opportunity through her recorded skills, rather than engaging in Rebecca's own history of couch humping with necessary reupholstering and non-existent dog blaming. This feels like a successful friend moment of where she kind of spends it in a way that give Keely an opportunity to, you know, share a little laugh or smile about the situation, which seems to land very well with Keely in this given moment. I agree. I think this, you know, they're, they're tackling a very serious subject that is like, as I mentioned before, like people die over this type of thing, like nude leaks online. 
And it's, so it's, it's something that shouldn't be joked about that much, but they, there's still a comedy show. They have to work jokes well, in and being able to work it in through some, a realistic angle of a joke, which is a friend trying to redirect the energy to like, Hey, maybe I can create a lighter moment here for just a yeah. few seconds. She can have a reprieve from what's going on to her. Like that's realistic. And it kind of works tonally for me. I agree. I thought that one landed pretty well. Uh, at the same time, Rishad is lamenting years of lost memories that he's now deleting as a result of Isaac's Maxim. That, that's really all we kind of get of that. Moving on. Uh, Keely is walking away from Richmond. Sarah, it's your least favorite scene of the episode. Uh, and is stopped by Roy, who laments what has happened to her and asks if she's okay. He starts by saying all the right supportive things until, for some reason, it pops in his head to ask, who the video was intended for. That was the wrong thing to ask, sir. Uh, you don't have that kind of relationship anymore to ask that question, nor would it in any case ever be any of your business to ask that question, and it's obviously something that she doesn't want to talk about. Why on earth did you think this was a good idea? Here's why I didn't like it. Because the point of his conversation ostensibly like it, on the face of it was to come over and offer his sympathies for a bad situation for Keely. Yes. And it took him about 12 seconds to make it all about him and his, what we called out last episode, which a, a, a listener wrote in to talk about, which is like Roy still, I, I wouldn't call it like not quite to the level of toxic masculinity, although it gets toxic here. He has a masculinity about him that is, kind of burgeoning like bordering on problematic here because he makes it about himself and he's jealous of whoever she sent it to clearly or he wouldn't be thinking to it, ask this fucking it's still question. very possessive yeah exactly he's very possessive of her still and it's like what 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 who is this character this is not the roy i thought i knew it's really distressing this is not the Roy that I remember from back in season one that was, you know, tucking in his niece at night and reading her stories before also yelling fuck and then wishing her to be good as he, want, as he runs away. They're playing, they're emphasizing a different aspect of him this season that I don't enjoy as much. Maybe it was always there, but is a focus of the character. This character has dropped down the rankings quite a bit from where he was in season one, one and two for me. I'll tell you this, when he uttered, who is it for? It's my personal opinion that that was the writers making a decision. There's two. Yeah. Robert Frost, last episode, right? We've got two two paths to version of wood. You will get no more Keely Roy in this show. Uh, that is my prediction. It is over. It, the Keely Jamie fans rejoice because Keely Roy is done for. They're they're trying to put a hard wall on that, and he seems to realize it in the moment that oh fuck, that was a horrible thing for me to ask. But that's what's in that. This is this is actually not realistic to me because if you so he clearly got himself in a mental state where somehow he talked himself into that being an okay question to ask. It's confusing to me that he would then five seconds later, just because her head dropped, realize that it was all, like my point is he had to dilute himself into thinking that was an okay question to ask. He probably did it by saying, well, she might've sent it while we were dating and that would have been cheating on me. And therefore I have the right to ask. He had to had, there had to be something where he had convinced himself this was an okay question to ask. Why would he flip five seconds later just because her head drops? The writing doesn't even make sense. It's possible they're emphasizing that he's had a brain fart of some variety, that it's just he's thinking about the next thing to say, and he try he's trying to be, you know, that kind of playful friend banter and just ask about its origins, whatever else. 
I don't know. Like you said, it's, it seems more possessive to me. It's a weird question to ask. It feels kind of out of character for me. I know it's wildly intrusive and it's crossing a line. And it, it's strange that he would backtrack on it so fast. I didn't like any. I didn't like the character Roy doing this in in world and then pulling up and just looking at the writing. I thought it was inconsistent. Uh, I said he realizes he fucked up immediately, but she's already leaving. Exit scene. Boo, Roy. Uh, we get a lot of kind of quick scenes from here. That night, Keeley and Jack are discussing the letter. Jack at first appears to understand that why Keeley won't be signing the letter, and instead suggests that they go out and distract themselves, and also maybe bring Barbara, because apparently she can just throw down rotten when they want to go party. Uh, same night, uh, Ted is in what is just capstoning a string of out-of-character moments, it, it, reaching its just most fevered pitch, begins to grill his groggy son on the subject of his relationship with dr jacob not a good ted moment not a good ted moment none of that is okay those boundaries need to be maintained with respect to you your kid step parents whatever else and ted's just violating all of those i feel like i'm so glad you have framed it this way so shout out to you spencer because like i think this is a scene that people could breeze over and just think it's because it, it, it it's not highlighted in any real way but it's it's one of the more problematic scenes we have because Ted is using his own his own feelings. Thorny. Well, his own yeah, exactly. That, that yeah, exactly. So he's he's using his own jealousy to leverage the authority he has over his son to have his son be like selling out his mother Spy. And, and like the lot. Like I feel like like my parents split up when I was kids. Right, I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I feel like the word like. And it can be fine if your parents split up. Like a lot of kids root for their parents to split up because they can they they see it too. They, they, they see, see the, the problems. They see the parents don't they aren't working out. But the last thing you need to do, like it's so important not to make it a meet. Like kids pulled in the middle, you know. Like I'm pulling the kid one way, you know. Like your mom's bad, I'm good type of thing. Just never let it devolve into that. And Ted is absolutely going down that road here. It's just it's really not a great scene from Ted. Is it? <sighs> It is out of character. I think the show is trying to say that it is out of character, though. Yes, I think this is yes. not out of character as much as the writing. This is out of character in story for the character to be I doing agree. this. And the character agree. seems to acknowledge it. Yep. Starts out fine, gets worse by the second. Note the statement about Dave Grohl learning how to play the, play the drums on pillows. We'll come back to that one later. Um, Henry falls asleep midway through it, and Ted realizes that he is just utterly spiraling into unhelpful territory. I'm again left to ask, where the hell is Dr. Sharon? But she's not in this episode. Well, it's not your therapist is no therapist. Your therapist isn't Sam Ganji, Spencer. It's not not with you on every journey. That I don't need them. It's a a health professional that you have appointments for. Yep, that wasn't there for me in that one moment. Did to me. Uh, Next day, Keeley is on shopping spree. I can't believe Ted this did this though. This was awful. And like, it's maybe the single most messed up moment for Ted. It's quiet little messed up moment. Nobody else sees it. Not a great. It's a horrible scene. Henry is seems like such a good kid that he doesn't he doesn't get super self conscious about this. But like it, you can absolutely see a world where he starts thinking, "Oh, well, now I have to protect the information about what happens at mom's because dad's going to ask about it. Dad's mad at mom, and dad hates Doctor Jacob, and now I have to lie about what Tad says to me to Doctor Jacob. And now I am spun up mess. I am old, a spun up mess. How old is Henry? Ten, twelve, somewhere ten, around. Ten, there? twelve, something like that. Yeah. He's old enough that he could read that. For sure. 100%. It's like, it's lucky in some ways he's groggy because otherwise those kind of conversations, they fucking stick with you. Ugh, it's the worst. Uh, next day, Keely has been on another shopping spree to feel better and uh, also is 
also to prepare lunch for, with Uncle Bernie. Jack, though, has canceled the lunch, claiming that she thought that Keeley wouldn't want to be around the press or the cameras or anything else like that. She wanted to meet Uncle Bernie. Why doesn't Jack she acknowledge this? To Jack it. shouldn't acknowledge this, that like, hey, I know you were looking forward to this, but she doesn't even acknowledge that Keeley was looking forward to it. She actually she actually tries to gaslight her. I did and it say, for you. I get it for you. Aren't you so happy I did this? Fuck Jack. Further evidence that, you know, Jack's just here about here for herself and to protect herself now from what she views as just the negative influence of Keeley upon her own development. An embarrassing person. She's yep. embarrassed by her. Keeley's shocked, but it seems to accept the explanation and the reasoning, and they instead decide they're, they're going to do something stupid and look amazing while doing it. Which, A, not a bad thing to be doing in this given moment. No. But in a vacuum, that's a good it, idea. In a vacuum, that's a good idea. It's actually a lovely way of getting a friend off, you know, get their mind off what's been happening and go have fun in just a kind of good, fun, stupid way. The, the reason that she's picking that is so it can be in private and away from the prying eye. Uh, Ted and Beard in an apron aren't the two of them, just the both domestic, lovely, married couple around Henry, are making breakfast and debating what to do with their all mutual day off. Uh, Beard's age-inappropriate idea of a Jack the Ripper walking torch <laughs> sounds great to me. But, that sounds you know, kind of fun. It's x They chase you, man. They chase you. It sounds great. Like the best uh, escape room ever. Uh, it is. I'd, I'd be down for it in a heartbeat. Also, you know, all the London stuff or Raven Peckham. Sure, yeah, sign me up. Not Henry's not as into it right now. Henry also turns down museums, boat trip on the Thames. He wants to go spell see... Spell weird. A, yeah, they spell weird. But because he, he wants to go see a proper football game. Uh, Ted is... Both Ted and Beard are kind of less than enthused about this idea. In fact, Ted says... Let me see if I get this straight. My one day off from football, you want to go watch football. It's a little bit like asking a mailman to go for go for a walk on this day off, don't you think? Hmm. Yeah, you don't care. You're just a little boy ambivalent as all heck. Okay. He actually looks kind of pissed, actually, about this. But, you know, he's going to be a good dad and do this. Beard is also less than enthused when he looks up and realizes that there is only one game playing in town. Cut to them wearing West Ham regalia. It's well, the only, only game. one. Only mm -hmm. one person's wearing West Ham regalia. Yeah, well, Henry's very proudly wearing West Ham regalia. Uh, also, Henry's waving excitedly and yelling at Nate. Question. If you had been Ted, would you have told Henry at any point about what your relationship with Nate is? Because clearly Henry don't know shit. I think when the like the Lego conversation happened where was Ted's opportunity to say, hey, you know, Ted, you know, Nate, I'm sure Nate still likes you and you, you're, I mean please still be friends with Nate if you want to, but you know, dad and Nate aren't getting along right now. Something like that would be okay. I don't think you have to do the thing of like, we hate Nate. Like you don't have yeah, to make him do it. You have to hate Nate now because daddy doesn't like You Nate. don't have to do that, but you also don't ignore it because I think it, I think it's created an awkward moment here where Henry is not at fault. Henry thinks they're still, they're still buddies. Yeah, he doesn't understand. Yay, Nate. Good best buddy. Nate. He probably doesn't understand where his dad doesn't throw on a kit and support Nate. Like he's probably confused by that. I mean, maybe he can talk himself into the fact they're playing in the same league, but like if he doesn't, doesn't know that Nate and Ted have fallen out, then he doesn't understand why Ted's so reticent to like cheer or talk to him or whatever. Yeah. Uh, Nate eventually turns around at Henry, who's just excitedly waving and yelling at every hey, available can opportunity. Up, can we go back to the, the putt-putt conversation when um, Jack had a friend come up that she we're, knew? We're, we're there here in a second. Oh, okay. All right, go. Uh, Disco claims that, you know, they must be there lo looking for tips. Scene ends with Nate mostly just looking confused. At mini right. golf. Mini golf. All right, there we go. Uh, Keely and Jack are playing through and agreeing that this is much better than watching polo with Hansi men. 
Uh, before Jack's old university friend Alyssa, I believe, comes up in the middle of a Hindu, which I love that term actually to refer to, you know, kind of a bachelorette party, uh, with some of her friends who were all getting proper plastered for the event. All that is fine and dandy until Jack chooses the opportunity to introduce Keely as her friend, friend, Keely Jones, first name and last name. There it is. You've covered it. As well as offering her services for her for as a PR company that uh, could, could provide Alyssa. Keely, how would you describe Keely's expression in this moment of when Jack refers to her in such a form and manner? I think every, so we've gotten, I think, three hints that Jack is embarrassed by Keely. One is the statement. Two is canceling with Bernard Arnault, and then three is referring to her as her friend to the friend at um, the friend from uni that she sees at Putt Putt. The third one is the one where I think it's so obvious that Keely can't ignore it anymore. Yeah, I think that's the one that landed, and it's like the show has a tendency to do this, where it's like it's like the definition of a Chekhov's gun type thing. Like if if they if they give you something, they're going to cut. There's a reason they gave it to you, and they're going to come back to it, and the 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 breadcrumbs that Jack is kind of embarrassed by Keeley post this leak building 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 building. building 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 and then now they've done it to a point that it's so obvious that even Keeley in show has to recognize it and this is the point where I felt like their relationship was innocent essentially over I mean there's my opinion about relationships is that there's a moment it breaks and then there's a moment you break up and that's there those are different times this, this is the this moment the it break broke. this is the moment it broke and then they'll break up later uh, after the West Ham match, Nate gives a message from Rupert apologizing for Ted being there and saying that it won't happen again, with pictures already floating around the media of what the hell was a Richmond coach doing at a West Ham game. Well, uh, they should know, right? I mean, they, they know that Nate used to work on Ted's coaching staff. I don't think this should be confusing for the press. Uh, they're con- I think it still is a reasonable enough question of what is he doing with his son wearing West Ham regalia there at a game. I don't know. Um you know, Roy Williams, UNC, UNC played Kansas. So Roy Williams was a coach for Kansas. He switched to go play for, uh, to be the coach of UNC. UNC played Kansas in the final four lost. Roy Williams went to the national championship game with a Kansas shirt on rooting for Kansas. He, this, see, this happens he used to play this, for Kansas. He used no, to he, be a coach he for to, Kansas. He used to coach for Kansas. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I, my point is that these sort of like cross pollination things based on friendship do occur like in sports. And I don't think it would be that weird for Ted to show up to support Nate. I don't think the media thinks that Ted and Nate are friends. Well, that if they if they caught on to that, then they, then it is weird. Yeah. Uh, with all of Nate's public statements, I don't think they think they're warm anymore. Ah, that's a good point. Yeah, you know what? You're right. Yep. Uh, Nate at first tries to say that it wasn't a problem, you know, not an issue at all that Ted was there before pulling back on his wunderkid uh, persona and saying just simply "good" in response to Rupert's offer. Right, because he he says like you know I I actually thought it was funny or something. Yes. This is what he what he texts to to Rupert, yeah. Uh, but he he puts back on the mask because you said we got a couple moments of Nate not necessarily being his best self this episode. Uh, at Richmond's pub, May take is, your mother by Scissor Sisters is playing. <laughs> uh, May is apoplectic on the subject of them going to a West Ham game, threatening to just ban them from the pub. But Ted cops her down and calms her down into just instead placing them on probation. A busker is, is uh, playing nearby, Hey Jude by the Beatles, which apparently both Henry and Ted are quite fond of both the band and the song. Yeah, it's Hey Jude by Paul McCartney. Uh, officially, he was still with the Beatles at the time. Yeah, but he, yeah that was all a Paul McCartney song. It, 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 it Very much both in creation and in song, it is a Paul McCartney song. He was with the Beatles at the time. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Ted is called away by a call from Rebecca, who now 
Having not taken it previously, now takes the opportunity to try to talk Ted out of his PI scheme. Ted is just getting worse and worse by the second of pondering whether Dr. Jacob and Michelle or all of her favorite spots from all of her favorite movies and T-shows that he still knows perfectly by heart. Look at that. Uh, while that's happening, though, Beard, good friend, takes a very both in-show and out-of-show on-the-nose approach of walking Henry, walking Henry through Henry, Ted, and Beard's situation through comparison by way of background of the song Hey Jude. Tell me why you don't like this scene. You said you didn't like it. I like it. It's just like we've talked before about how song choices in this show can be just very, very not very just perfectly situated appropriate for just fitting the moment. There's no ambiguity attached to it. It's just like the on the nose. This is the feeling I want you to have. If you want it, the song could not be more perfect for the moment and having the character emphasize it. I feel like even just Henry with how old he is can just kind of go, okay, yeah, I get what you're trying to do right now. I think it works and it's heartfelt it just came across as being not even just symbolic, not even just, you know, there's, there's no aspect of subtlety about this attached to this at all. Yeah. Do you have it for the Sports Center Top 10? The song? No. Okay. So Paul Paul McCartney wrote this for John, John Lennon's young son, Julian, yeah. after Lennon had left his wife for Yoko Ono. Mm -hmm. And so he's basically talking to a, a kid, Julian, uh, Julian Lennon, whose parents had split up. And he's mm -hmm. explaining, like, things will be okay. You can take a bad song, make it better. And Beard is drawing that parallel here for him. I thought it was wonderful. I did, I, yes, so sometimes the music can be too on the nose. In this show, I thought this was a just a great moment. I thought it, it worked. It ends well. Uh, of where it, he, he says, you, you have a great mom and dad. They love you tons. And even though it's weird that they live in different countries, and I know that right now it feels that you're in a sad song, but you, young man, you have the power to take a sad song and make it better. Henry gets immediately what he's trying to do. They appreciate it. They have a nice little moment. I think this pretty strongly implies that Henry and Beard have had a, have had kind of a relationship themselves for like years, going back to Ted's coaching back in Kansas City. Do you think that's an accurate read? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I uh, feel like they, it could have been strengthened if he actually would have called out that Paul wrote it for Julian Lennon. I think you could have given two or three lines of dialogue You could have made it even more that. clear. Yeah, I think so. I think that would have because it Because in show, it could have been Beard explaining that I mean, we, it's tongue-in-cheek for all of us viewers, but in, in story, it could be Beard actually explaining that to Henry, who probably doesn't know the origin of the song. I think that works okay. And, and related to this conversation, there was something that we didn't hit in the recap that was kind of a heartbreaking line earlier, and I think Henry was trying to convey sadness in it. Henry tells Ted, you know, I've got more airline miles than anybody in my school. Yeah. Which was sort of okay. tough. Yeah, and Ted doesn't really process it because he's too distracted by the call. Beard's, it, that seems to register more with Beard. I think that's part of the reason that Beard goes into this story right here. Uh, the song hits the na, 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 na part. That's Everybody part of the song. Jude. Uh, Jude, everyone's, Jude, 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 wow. Everybody sings along, but Ted's still in that conversation with Rebecca. Rebecca helpfully just cuts to the heart of the matter. And this is my favorite moment of the episode is this conversation the two of them have. Oh, okay. Uh, also, this is the moment of Rebecca looking casual at calling in her house among the hottest she's ever been on the show. Oh, uh, gosh. Okay. All right. Didn't notice. Uh, she just emphasizes, but seriously, who gives a flying fuck if Michelle gets engaged? Ted caught off guard that she's just not. Question for you. Yeah. D does this mean that she didn't get dirt on them too or is that she's not going to share it i think she has it and she's just saying ted i'm not, i don't want to give this to you and you shouldn't want it i think she do, what I, do you think she has do you think she has that he asked she said no 
I, I yeah, I think you think he actually there, there was somebody following, maybe even filmed a video of it that she has that she's just like, no, this isn't going to help anything for you to go into this. All right, that's Lasso Lowdown Cannon from now on. She, he asked, she said no. Rebecca found out through the PI about it, but Rebecca is saying, I'm not going to tell you this. You don't need to go down this road. You're better than this, Ted. That's my interpretation. Yeah, I, I think like that's, it. That's, that's it. the proper f- friend moment. I mean, she she emphasizes that that time in your relationship has passed, but your time with Henry hasn't. You need to stop letting yesterday get in the way of today. Different Beatles song that I'm also quite fond of. We're going to debate on uh, our Sports Center Top 10, the best Beatles song here in a bit. But yesterday, great-ass song. Uh, Ted finally accepts this and sincerely thanks Rebecca for being a great friend. Mercy Buckets, boss. Mercy Buckets. There I am, Coach Lasso. And he returns to Beard and Henry to enjoy the song all together. So it's a wonderful moment between friends. It's one of the better moments of the episode. I quite liked it. Meanwhile... Jack is presenting a toned-down version of the statement to Keeley as if the problem was that they didn't particularly like the lawyer language last time. Uh, but Keeley isn't at all interested in releasing anything like it to the world. Jack, though, is focused on the fact that someone she's with and funding, emphasis on funding, can't be seen having a porno online without apology. A porno? Yeah. What? That's how, that's how she refers to it, as if this was you know something that she produced and released to the world. She sucks. Conversation quickly gets to some unpleasant places as Keely emphasizes the leak's not my fault, but for some reason you think it is. Jack, just emphasizing now that, oh my god, this character's terrible, uh, says, well maybe, I don't know, maybe you shouldn't have made the video in the first place. It's certainly not something to be proud of, Keely. Keely responds, I don't regret making it, I don't regret sending it, and why are you? Jack more emphasizes that there might be more of them out there, and the conversation just gets worse from there. Ugh. As said, Keely's just been going through a whole mess of people in her life that aren't great for the last, like, entirety of the season, and here's just another point. Like you said, maybe this results in, you know, her losing her company and her having to go back to Richmond, and she returns to things, and Jamie, and whatever else, but it just hasn't been that fun of a season for her. I think that that's absolutely where this is going. That's why there was a reference to the funding, is that, Nick, I yeah. think, here's what we're going to get next episode. Uh, Keely's going to show up to work, Barbara's going to walk in her office and say, Sorry to report, but Jack has pulled the funding. All of us, we're going to be leaving here soon. She'll call Rebecca crying. One of two things will happen. Rebecca will either step in and fund the operation, which I would not be a fan of. Or two, two, Rebecca offers her her old job back and she comes back to Richmond. I think there's enough for us to say that's a pretty likely outcome for this. Whether I find it satisfying or not. We'll see, but I, you won't. I think that, you won't. I'll just go no. ahead and spoil it for the audience. You won't like that. It, it just feels like kind of a wasted season for her. I mean, I, I don't know how much she's really necessarily grown from this either, but we'll, we'll, we'll get there when it comes. Meanwhile, another short scene, Nate's at home with uh, Jade. Jade refers to Nate as her boyfriend. Everyone is happy. Kind of the scene, right? Kind of the scene. Uh, Jamie, though. Don't really no, care about these two. I don't. I don't. Uh, Jamie Same. shows up at Keeley's house, though. This is a scene I more care about. My favorite scene of the episode. Uh, he's coming to check in on Keeley. He also, to see whether she's okay with respect to the leak, and also pointedly to apologize. Being the likely source of the leak, given that the video was intended for him and he had it in his possession. It's unintentional, despite his incredibly protected double S password. Uh, even deleted What a wonderful video. moment. Like, uh, it, damn it, I forgot the emails. I'm so sorry, Keeley. But I did think I fooled them. Put two S's on the word password. Shout out Jamie for trying to be slick. Jamie, just so you know, there are two S's in password. But, what? you know, sorry. Uh, 
He's progressed in so many ways. He's gotten so knowledgeable, but apparently spelling is not among his skills quite yet. Whatever. Uh, he had deleted it previously from his phone when he realized that she and Roy weren't just together to get back at him and were serious, but he'd forgotten about his emails. He apologizes about it sincerely, though. He's really sorry that this has happened. He's really sorry it hurt her. And Keely, recognizing his sincerity, gives him an equally sincere hug. Okay. Is that why you think she gave him a hug? Because she, she saw, thought it was sincere? That's how I interpret it in the moment. Do you, do you think it also has greater implication? Uh, well, I do think they're going to go to the route of these two getting back together. Because I think that like there was a comment in, I think, season one, where Keely says something like, you know, if you ever become the man, I think you can be like come back to me or something. She says something along those lines and he, uh, he's, he's done that. Right. So the show likes to come full circle on these things. I think this is going to happen, but I, I took this honestly to be that like Jamie finally gave her the thing that she needed, which Mm -hmm. is someone to say that they're sorry with no judgment and no personal agenda. Just there was, it was just sorry and period. There was no Mm -hmm. sorry but should have done it. Sorry, but this affects me this way. Sorry, but, you know, I'm still thinking of it through the lens of my own possessive, problematic, but you know, beliefs and behavior with you. So therefore, let me ask you the super personal question, which Roy did. Like, there was none of that. It was just, I'm sorry, period. And that's all she really wanted from somebody. I would agree. I think that's an excellent read on the circumstance. And I, I think agree on the response. And I think they've played into that, too, when we saw her reacting to Jamie during the photo shoot of realizing how far he'd become as, as a person and a character as well. And isn't that like an Uncle Lee out there to the kids, like life lesson, which like when somebody's going through something that's really painful, traumatic, difficult, you can even like extrapolate this to something like grief, right? Just like, be there for him. You can't when you can't control like, because oftentimes we can't control what's happening to the person that we care about. If you can't, Jamie can't control this, right? Nobody can control it. Like, mm-hmm. just saying you're sorry and just offering your time to someone sometimes can be enough. That that, that can yeah. be what they're looking for. Be there, say say it sucks, make them a cup of tea or whatever other drink they want, and just be present. That's the best you can do. Harney and Sons, Hot Cinnamon Sunset. Maybe, maybe that one, maybe another one. Maybe not tea. Maybe they're like Ted, but just... Physical presence matters a lot. Same day, elsewhere in town, Michelle and Dr. Jacob have returned from Paris, and so Ted is doing the Henry handoff. Henry reveals to his mom that Ted is going to be buying them a drum kit, which, just for the record, is the single worst thing you can ever buy, other than maybe like a pet, for somebody else's household without prior warning. It's tough. It's tough. The drums, is that's really tough. That's a funny move, though. That's uh, all, yeah. You know, it, it, we know Ted still loves Michelle. He told her as much this episode, this yes. season. He told her. Um, but wouldn't that be a really funny, like, sort of ex-dad getting back at the mom who's dating somebody new <laughs> thing? It's like, oh, who, who are you dating? Oh, our former marriage counselor. Got it. Oh, little bit of news. Uh, got Henry an 18-piece drum set. Okay, anyway, see ya. <laughs> and the I got him an 18-piece drum set and the entire soundtrack from Rush. Have fun, son. <laughs> Perfect. Metallica's back catalog. Go. <laughs> uh, Ted, during the course of the conversation, none too subtly checks Michelle's hand. Realizes she's not wearing an engagement ring. Uh, in fact, Michelle, uh, during this a conversation of sharing more than a few lingering glances and kind of interesting reactions, notes that Paris was just all right. See our two theories about what happened there. While also noting that Dave Grohl learned to play the drums on pillows. Aren't the two of them in the same headspace? Emphasis, emphasis, emphasis. Ted is left confused by this conversation, even more so when he looks out the window and sees Henry just run straight past Dr. Jacob. 
Michelle greet Dr. Jacob nice. not particularly warmly and instead use the opportunity to look back up at the window to see Ted there looking down at her. Mm, all right. shares, shares another glance, gets in the car, Ted turns around, not entirely sure how to process this course of events. End episode. And appropriately, the song Tout du, tout du Simon was playing, um, French song. Spencer, uh, in your text thread, you sort of let us know what you think about this. We we were exclaiming after the green matchbook, oh my God, it's happening, Ted Becca, we're going to see it, we're going to have it. Yep. How, did, how did you take the signs that we saw this episode related to Ted's romantic trajectory? I, I think all the direction is him going back to Kansas City. This episode is placing further emphasis on the fact that may also be with some degree of hope that him and Michelle may return to each other at some point in the future or within the scope of the show. Okay, got it. And what what do, you, what do you think about these events at the end of the episode or throughout with respect to Michelle? It, it, it's not new that his feelings about her and maybe even her kind of confused feelings on him. Yeah, I mean, I kind of I kind of talked about it in the lead in, right? Which is that I'm hoping for Ted and Rebecca because I'm always a sucker for this is like the romantic comedy fan in me. I'm yeah. always a sucker for friend first, friends first, romantic later. Anytime people are like really good friends and then develop that into a romantic relationship. I'm like the biggest cheerleader for it. So I will, I hope that happens, but I don't think that's the way they're going. I think they're going back the way of Ted, Michelle, Ted moves back. And I guess Spencer will be left going. Why did we just do all this? Why did we do all this? Just so we can all go back to normal. Ted's clearly had growth in an arc. We'll see whether Michelle has. Uh, so that one could land better with me, though I think a large portion of the fandoms can be disappointed with it. All right, all right. Let's uh, let's go into our segments. Let's let's award train wreck of the episode first and do sports in our top ten. Train wreck of the episode. I will not allow anyone to give it to Keely. That is not fair. No. Remotely, no, 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 no. Keely she is not pretty. Well. She does a wonderful job with an awful, rotten situation that's been put upon her. She is not train wreck of the episode. Train wreck of the episode, Jack. unequivocally, is Jack, and with the honorable mention to Roy, I think. I yeah, perfectly fair on both counts. Jack, but can we is, get? Can, but Ted's in the conversation though. Uh, Ted, man, we—that's uh, a good point. Ted, Ted has his single worst moment as a character, probably. Uh, with respect to that conversation with his son, Roy has his single one of his single worst moments as a character. With respect to that conversation with Keely, and Jack just gets worse and worse by the moment. We know enough about Roy and Ted to see that there are other sides to them, and those are off unpleasant moments. Jack, I feel like we're more just seeing her true character, and it's terrible. So I'm 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 picking Jack. Completely agree. Um, all right, let's go to sports center top ten where we talk about 10 things that got our piqued our interest that we think deserve more discussion about the episode. Do you want to go first? Sure. Uh, Bernard Donault uh, is a French billionaire. Uh, I did not realize how wealthy he was. I looked it up and was shocked to realize he's actually the richest person in the world right now. Uh, he is worth a combined total of something like $250 billion, including what's distributed among his family. That's passing Elon Musk and all other options right there. And it's through him being the founder, chairman, and CEO of Louis Vuitton, the luxury goods conglomerate and holding company, along with also being the chairman of Christian Dior, the French multinational luxury fashion house. And Moet, Hennessy, on and on and on. Add a freaking list. The man knows, the man, the man 
made a nest egg in business early on in his career and has invested it well since then with you know him forming Louis Vuitton back in 1987 and not, not even being his first company. I think he even contributed like 1.8 billion early on in that company too to help get it just you know firmly off the ground. So a remarkably wealthy and influential person, particularly within the circles in which Keeley roams. Yeah. All right. So the fappening, this is what they're referencing here. This is a, this is what the internet termed it. It was a, a leak of a lot of celebrities, uh, nudes photos that happened on August 31st, 2014, a collection of nearly 500 private pictures, various celebrities, mostly women with many containing nudity were posted on the Instagram or uh, sorry, the image board 4chan swiftly disseminated everywhere. People called it the fappening or celeb gate. The images were initially believed to be obtained via a breach of Apple's cloud services. iCloud. I don't know if you remember when that, that was being circulated I do, yeah. and Apple was in full, you know, damage control, worried that their iCloud had been hacked in reality. It was shit. That was just like what was explained here um, in the episode. This is password how it happened. Breaking. People d- did phishing things to get people's passwords, or they just guessed their passwords based on publicly available information about them, or things like one, two, three password, hashtag one password, hashtag 100 password, whatever. That's how they were able to find these people's passwords and get all of this information that was all all dumped. Number of people went to prison over this. Um, this was not a small deal. The Justice Department looked into it, and it, uh, multiple people uh, had charges brought up against them for disseminating pe- people's personal information uh, and data, and were, were were given harsh sentences for it. So, if anybody out there listening think this is like funny or cool or something that they would one day want to do, uh, those people were targeted by a justice system and uh, and put by the Justice Department and put in prison, which they should have been because that was a fucked up thing to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, next for me, late stage capitalism. I feel like this is a term that everyone's just kind of throwing around now. It's kind of in vogue. Its origins, though, were very much more in kind of classic socialist and communist uh, economic analysis of history. Of where Werner Sombart and uh, Ernest Mandel are two key figures in that regard. Of effectively putting it as a period in the history of capitalism. Of where Werner Sombart and his classic modern capitalism... Uh, divided capitalist history into various stages. Proto-capitalism from like the Middle Ages up until like 1500, early capitalism from about 1500 to 1800, the proper period of capitalism from 1800 to the First World War, and from his perspective, after the First World War is being late capitalism going forward. Uh, Sombart was a German economist, historian, social scientist, and head of the youngest historian school of economics. In particularly socialist and capitalist circles, it's really kind of the uh, part of the idea of the inevitable passing of capitalism into a period by which communism can properly form, the way Marx so long ago wrote about, with people particularly pondering the aftermath of the Great Depression and World War II as being a period where like continental socialists believed that capitalism was inevitably doomed and we were in a period of when there was no hope but either going towards despotism or communism in two different forms. Um... The three periods that Ernest Mandel talked about were, you know, the free cap- freely capitalist production period of 1700 to 1870, the monopoly capitalism period of 1870 to 1940, and then the late capitalism emerging out of World War II. Are you picking up a theme of where everyone kind of viewed the period that they were living in as being the late capitalist period? Yep. Uh, hence how it is being commonly applied today of where here now in the late 2010s, particularly in the U.S. and Canada, Late cap, late stage capitalism is being used as kind of like a shorthand for referring to the various unfairnesses of the modern world towards the individual, the absurdities, contradictions, the injustices, the inequalities, the exploitation of modern business oppressing the common man. 
this has been a very common theme for a long time. We just have a new label for it. And late stage capitalism is the buzzword of the internet today. Yeah, when I hear somebody use the phrase late stage capitalism to describe like, I don't know, Western Europe or the United States, like I immediately put them in a bucket. I'm like, oh, this is sky is falling liberal. Got it. I got it. Uh, yeah, the whole world's gonna gonna collapse tomorrow. I understand. Okay, and maybe it will. I, I don't know the future, but I do. I do sort of put those people in a bucket. And go. Ah, I think I kind of know know where you're coming at here. Um, not gonna get a lot of positivity from that person. Okay, let's go to full English breakfast. How about that? Oh, please <clears throat> full give English me the breakfast. Full English breakfast is a uh, cooked breakfast meal, um, often served in the United Kingdom. In Ireland that typically includes here's the here so I'm going to go through the ingredients right the, I'm going to go through the basic ingredients of it but if, like if you go to the like you go to London and order it what you'd get then I'll go Please. through different variations based on geographic location so Ooh. the United Kingdom has bacon sausage egg black pudding baked beans tomatoes mushrooms and toast that it's is great that's what's in a full English breakfast I think that it's not too dissimilar from an American breakfast except for the inclusion of tomatoes, beans, and mushrooms. I think those are three things that are maybe a little bit different than what you might get in America. Mm -hmm. When you look at some of the, the regional variants, so Ireland typically will serve the full English breakfast along with soda bread, fried potatoes, white pudding, and box tea, which is a potato pancake. In Ireland, it's also pretty famous to order a full uh, English breakfast on a roll, on a breakfast roll, where they'll actually take components of the full English breakfast and mm -hmm. put it on a French roll and serve it to you to go. Almost like one of those big, like like what you'd have in America, the big gargantuan monster, like southern biscuit sandwiches. You know, it's got like oh, a billion yeah. different things in it. Uh, in Ulster, the northern province in Ireland, the Ulster fry variant is popular. And it's also eaten throughout the day. It's not just eaten in the breakfast. Scotland will include haggis, not shocking there, <laughs> white white pudding, fruit pudding, and oat cakes in their full English breakfast. Wales really flips the script on you because they'll put cockles, mm. cockles in there. So they'll put like a very like clams basically are in a full English breakfast. Laver bread, which is a seaweed puree often mixed with oatmeal and fried um, along with Welsh sausages. So, I, there's, yeah. there's definitely bringing in regional availability to what is included in the proper breakfast in the morning. I think all of those, of all those, I, I just read the whales one interests me the most. The idea that you'd be including like like fried clams and some laver bread with it. That's that seems sort I of need wild. It. I I'd check that out. But here you go. <clears throat> That's full English breakfast. Uh, Oscar Wilde, mm. full name Oscar Fingal O'Flattery Wills Wilde was born in 1854 and died in 1900. He was an Irish writer famous for his poems, his plays, his novels. Hey, wait a second, 1804 to 1900? 1854. Oh, okay. He, he sadly died fairly young, in part due to the fact that his other point that he's most famous for... Fairly young. 46 is pretty young. Uh, his trial and conviction and imprisonment for sodomy. Uh, one of the first celebrity witch trials kind of thing. Uh, convicted for the love that dare not speak its name. Uh, which, sadly, his imprisonment... Uh, ruined his health and dramatically shortened his life. The picture of Dorian Gray is one of his most famous works, and one has been constantly referenced in various forms since then, and he was notably later pardoned in 2017. A favorite poem of his, uh, favorite for me of, among his poems is Requisquet, uh, which is 1881, which, if you don't mind, I'll actually, I'll actually read it here, because it's fairly short. Fairway. 
Treading lightly, she is near under the snow. Speak gently, she can hear the daisies grow. All her bright golden hair, tarnished with rust, she that was young and fair, fallen to dust. Lily-like, white as snow, she hardly knew. She was a woman, so sweetly she grew. Coffin board, heavy stone, lie on her breast. I vex my heart alone, she is at rest. Peace, peace, she cannot hear, lyre or sonnet. All my life's buried here, heap earth upon it. And in terms of just quotes I like from him, one of my favorites is, A poet can survive everything but a misprint. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, Oscar Wilde, he's a very famous man knew how to turn a phrase. Um, okay. There's a reference to a book that teaches you that you, in order to get women, you have to insult them. This is a reference to a book called The Game by Neil Strauss. Yep, heard of it. The Game, Penetrating the Secret Society of Pickup Artists, also known as The Game Undercover, Undercover in the Secret Society of Pickup Artists, a nonfiction book. There's probably some false elements in it. It was written by investigative reporter Neil Strauss. He worked for Rolling Stone at the time the book was released, and it's all about him having penetrated a secret society of pickup artists who knew these little uh little tricks of the game tricks little like psychological th- but in essence what what the whole i read the book it, it, like 20 years ago or whatever but in, in essence it's like what they seem to prey on are insecure people like people who are insecure then they would um prey on them by you know what they I think of the term in the book was called nagging, maybe where you'd say like little negative yeah. things to them to to pique their interest so that they feel like they have to. When you say something negative, they feel like they have to explain themselves to you or show themselves to you in a good light. That's kind of indicative of what the entire book was about. I think the more interesting part, though, than than like this concept of like how to pick up women is the fact that Neil Strauss himself wrote this book and at the end had this sort of like wonderful like oh but what i realized is that i really just wanted to find one woman and not a bunch of them and he describes like the best sex he ever had with this woman that he got seriously involved with he ends up marrying said woman but this concept of being a pickup artist was so insidious to him that he perpetually cheated on her became a it got divorced became a sex addict in recovery and now speaks openly about you know the problems with these sort of constant different woman every night romantic entanglements on the on the psyche and what that can do to you long term so there you go neil Strauss. i think people leave out that last part of the story when they talk about it it's still a massively influential text yeah i mean neil Strauss now would tell you that he's a sex addict and that like that that period of his life completely fucked him up and he's not able to like have normal relationships now because of it okay can we do you have it any more I, one one last one was just to invite you. What's your favorite Beatles song? That's exactly what I was going to do. All right. Yeah, we were going to do Beatles songs. Okay. My favorite Beatles song. Um, well, f- first of all, are you a fan of the Beatles? Yeah, for sure. How can you not be? Yeah. Uh, that's kind of my response, too. Is that, like, even if you don't particularly like their music, you kind of have to accept that it's incredibly influential in everything that's come hence. Yeah, I certainly like their music. I would say it's really hard to say like favorite Beatles song. It really depends on the mood I'm in. But if I had to say like, what's the songs I keep going back to over and over and over again, I'd say number one, I have a one, a one B of course I'm trying to cheat the list, but my one, a is all you need is love. And one B is come together. Uh, all you need to love is lovely. Come together is my favorite. Just in terms of like an outright jam out song, I will headbang to that song endlessly. It's got just got such a wonderful beat. It's utter gibberish for lyrics, but I utterly love it. Uh, in, in terms of quieter ones, um, I was going to say yesterday's great, but uh, Blackbird 
is one I quite like. It's just mm-hmm. kind of a, a little fun one. It's very simple. And just in terms of maybe the earlier catalog, Hello Goodbye and Hard Day's Night, awesome songs. Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, I think, deserves uh, a... That's, that's an early good one. Deserves a high one. LSD, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Very good song. Uh, yeah, tons and tons uh, of great Beatles songs. The one, apparently the one that's most popular on Spotify right now is Here Comes the Sun, which is also a good song. Here Comes the Sun. Yeah, pretty good. I also like Please, Please Do. Please, Please Me Do. You know I love you. That was a good one. And in terms of Paul McCartney just belting things out, I think I like Let It Be more than I like Hey Jude. That's a real hard one. I don't know that I have a a favorite. I do like both of those better than yesterday. Yesterday is good, but I like both of those better than yesterday. Let's discuss all 200 Beatles songs in our opinions on them. How about this? Ted's Life Lessons. Uh, Please. The number one Ted Life Lesson this episode. There was an awful lot of what not to do. A lot of what not to do this episode. Seen through characters. Um, How about this? I, I, I think the best thing, as normally does, comes from the Diamond Dogs which is you can't worry about something that hasn't happened yet. Find out before you flip out. I Mm -hmm. think that like, this is like really prominent in Buddhist philosophy. It's like one of the like sort of keys to unlock unlocking, um, you know, like, like a positive mental attitude or like on your, on a one step on a a mini bricked path to Nirvana, which would be this concept of like, we like most people, the bulk of their worrying and frustration and irritation and sadness and depression is all built on fictional realities. It's not built on reality. It's all built on playing out situations that hasn't occurred yet, worrying about things that haven't happened yet, worrying that people are thinking things you don't know they're thinking, worrying that actions are being taken where you're not, that you don't know. Like all of these fictional realities that we create is what creates the bulk of our mental distress and pain. And like the, the show's touching on it here. It's very, very hard not to do because as we talked about in the moment, like we have a tendency to be risk averse as humans. So we like plan for the worst. Mm-hmm. What is that? What is that saying? Like plan for the worst, hope for the best. Yes. I actually don't, I think that might be like smart in business or something, but I actually think in your personal life, plan for the worst, hope for the best is like an awful way to, to operate <laughs> because you just expect, the, you expect, you expect the worst of everyone all the time and you just make yourself miserable. I think find out before you flip out, you can't worry about something that hasn't happened yet is a really good thing to remember it's always a good it's also a good really good grounding technique this is like stuff you learn in uh in therapy spencer you'll never hear about this so I'll, I'll help you out here uh is a grounding technique is to say okay what am i worrying about and then like track that to reality oh i i'm worried because that person hates me well what evidence do you have that they hate you have they told you they hate you do you have it in writing that they hate you well no you're probably making up a bulk of that like uh, uh, you know the, you're, you're creating that inside your own brain um, that they hate you or that so-and-so doesn't like you or whatever the, whatever the fictional reality is. So I think it's a really wonderful topic and it's a really great way. Once you sort of unlock that, that concept of like, Oh shit, I spend most of my time worrying about stuff that isn't real. Sort of a crazy thing to think, but it's actually, it's actually true for most of us. Once you sort of unlock that, it's a lot easier to, to not let yourself mentally spiral over things where you don't have a lot of, real evidence that Hmm. it's occurring yet. So anyway, great topic. I could talk for days about it because I think it's a really important thing for a lot of people to get much more healthy mentally is to realize this aspect of like why I worry and what I worry about and how to get out of that mental spiral. 
Shame I'll never hear from from a therapist. Well, hopefully I gave you enough of it. Just play this back next time you're you're stressed out. Uh, okay, what else should we talk about this episode? Anything uh, anything we should we should chat about before we wrap up? Well, I feel like we're in the back third of the season. Are you expect this question I asked earlier? We already got our one you know made for TV movie Ted Lasso episode so far this season. Are, do you expect a second one here in the back for back third of the season? I do. Yeah, I think yeah. we'll get one more one more sort of completely insular episode where something's going on and it's just just one 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 moment in time and then they move on with the rest of the plot you don't think it's going to be the finale right oh god no i hope not no because the finale is ostensibly supposed to be the finale of the whole series that should be wrapping up all the plots it should be like a typical finale it'll probably be like next episode of the one after maybe nine or ten will be another singular episode and then hopefully 11 and 12 are both Wrapping things up in the plot, wrapping things up, you know, Ted moving back or whatever the hell it is. But yeah, within the universe, within the, the timeline of the plot. I, I hope so, too. I, I, the only way I could see them doing the last episode as a one off is if it's a, basically like an aftermath. It is a, you know, the, 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 the prior episode's actually a finale and the one hour is just seeing where characters are now after events have ended. But I, I'm with you. I think it's more likely that one of the two next episodes will be their other made for TV movie. And then they'll dedicate the last two for some aspect of a finale. Whether it's wrapping up the entire series or just this particular show, stands to be seen. I think 11 and 12 are going to be really good. I'm excited about both of those episodes. I imagine they'll be long. And I do think, uh, right now I'm on track for a prediction that Ted returns to Kansas, ends up back with Michelle, although I will be rooting for Ted Becca. I'm... I think that's the most likely outcome from the ends we've seen so far. Also, Keeling it, Keely ending back up with Jamie. Yeah, Keely with Jamie, I think, is that might happen next episode. I mean, because I think her and Jack are done at this point. So then we have to figure out where. Yeah. where, where. I mean, it'd be, it'd be wonderful if they left her single. That would be great. Somebody who has had to rely on the romantic interest and affections of everybody else for her career and to make money for so long to be happy being single. That'd be a wonderful end to her character. I don't think they're going there, though. I think I, it's Keely, Keely, Jamie. I think they're going to pair people off. I think. Ted back with Michelle, Keely with Jamie, and Rebecca trying to go find her Dutchman. Oh, she'll never see that Dutchman again. Come on. I, that cheapens I, it, Spencer. I I know, and I think they'll still do it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. All right. Well, Spencer quickly losing faith in the writing of the show. I'll tell you this. Do you like it more after we've discussed it, or you feel exactly the same after we've discussed it? I generally like it. Here's a, This is interesting. I generally like it more when I rewatch it and after we discuss it. This time, I liked it more when I first saw it, liked it less when I rewatched it, and I've come back up a bit when we've talked about it. Okay, I've liked it less as we've talked about it than when I first watched it. <laughs> that is my role here, sir. Well, I'm be, happy to bring you down. Well, because there's so, a couple moments of the writing where I just got disgusted with them. Like this thing about Keely, like with the the teacher and then the thing with the survivor host. Like there was a couple things in the writing where I was like really put off that I wouldn't have, I didn't, I didn't give it the thought that it deserved in the moment. But now that I have, I've thought, man, the writing group is really it's all over the, error. they're all over the place here. Uh, okay. Well, it's a lot of fun, Spencer. Thanks a lot for joining us. Um, I speak for all of the Mangum Talks viewing community and listening community when I say we hope your dog is okay. We will be back with everybody next week to review Season 3, Episode 9 of Ted Lasso as we tr- as we march toward the ending here of Season 3 and possibly the entire series. Thanks, everybody, for listening. If you're enjoying this podcast, please go to MangumTalks.com. Let us know what you think. Click up the right-hand corner. Click fill- Click upper right-hand corner, the, the, the link, contact us, fill out the form. That'll come straight to me. We can have a conversation about what you're thinking about the podcast, what you're thinking about the show. That 
www.bangamtalks.com will also show you what other shows we have reviewed, other podcasts that we are running right now. We are also doing Succession over on the podcast feed line of Succession, where that show is also in its final season. And we are doing episode by episode review of that show as well. So thank you all for listening. Thanks for being a Mangum Talks fan. And we will be back with you next week to review Ted Lasso. Hope everybody has a great week. See you later.